3: live. Well,
1: hello, this is Michael Adams. is Nothing of The Truth. It's July the 1st, 2015. We're going to do part three of How the Jesuits Control the World, or Rule the World, whatever it's called. Yeah, controlled. How the Jesuits Controlled the World, part three.
4: I probably should rephrase that to How the Jesuits Control the World. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to listen to an article with uh, Greg Anthony and...
1: Uh, Eric Phelps, and also uh, Joshua
4: Abraham, Abraham, or Abraham, excuse me, <clears throat> and yeah,
1: they got their issues, all of them got their issues, and yeah, they controlled, chills, blah, blah, I don't know, all I know is I listened to these interviews and then I'm pretty accurate, pretty on the money, so um, we're going to go with it anyways, so let's hear what they have to say. I know it's easy to find fault in everybody and it's just it's really easy to find fault. <laughs> At this point, I don't know anybody does not does not have an issue, so including myself, so all we can do is best just try to do our best. So I'm trying to share with you the things that, and uh, that I've learned and pass them on to you the best way I know how. So yes. So I think what we'll do, we'll start out with the Hey, Greg Anthony, Eric Phelps interview first. Let's make sure this is even, I'm
5: going have computer problems today. Investigative Before I get to my guest, author of Vatican Assassins, Eric Phelps, let me tie
1: this uh, story into what Eric's going to be talking about. Um, when Leo wanted, let me just uh, make a correction. When I said black account, the account that Leo wanted got the 250 million dollars wasn't the black account. It was the black account that uh, the 250 million ended up with. This never been accounted for that uh, Foster carried over from Switzerland. Now, the interesting part of this story is that Leo Wanta uh, was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to get the money, and he always has tried to get over $27 trillion back to the American people, even to this day. And he has been unsuccessful due to the fact that at this moment, when Foster was sent back to the States, that was July 7th or 8th before he was killed on July 20th, 1993, Wanta was put in a uh, dungeon in Switzerland. And guess who tried to save him? a gentleman by the name of Itzhak Rabin sent a letter and tried to get him out when the authority when the uh, corrupt people in Switzerland heard Itzhak Rabin was on his way to help Leo Wanta Leo Wanta was taken in chains and sent to America before Rabin could get there Now, I'm looking, uh, Itzhak Rabin, of course, then was killed in 1995. Now, I'm looking at a photo on Vatican Assassins' website, and it's a photo of Leah Rabin in 1995 with Pope John Paul II. Now, let me read to you what Eric Phelps says about this photo, and then we're going to get to Eric about some really interesting things that have come up since we last talked to him. Uh, he says this. This photo, taken from November 13, 2000 edition of the Pittsburgh's Tribune Review, depicts the late Leah Rabin in 1995, following her private audience at the Vatican with the greatest accomplice to her husband, that's Itzhak Rabin, who was trying to help Mr. Wanta, cold-blooded murder the infallible Pope John Paul II, the Mossad, and the arm of the Jesuit generals' international intelligence community carried out the assassination as the disobedient Freemason and Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin opposed Rome's policy for Zionist Israel. For the Jesuits will never allow any portion of the old city of Jerusalem to be given to the Muslims, especially the Palestinians, controlled by the order through Arafat, indeed." And Eric says, "This the arm of the church is long." Eric Phelps, how are you today? Good to meet you, Greg. Thank you for having me. And that is quite a quote, quite a picture, and quite uh, the church's arm is very long. Tell us again, just to refresh our listeners' memory uh, memories. You've been with us before, and tell us why you feel if we want to stop the New World Order, one good step is to remove the Jesuits from American soil.
6: Absolutely right. Uh, they've been suppressed and expelled at least 80 times in their past from since their inception in 1540 to the present. Um, the most powerful nations of Europe have expelled them, especially the Roman Catholic nations of France, Portugal, and Spain in the 1700s. And uh, and uh, Britain had expelled them many times. France has expelled them, I've counted, no less than eight times. Uh, Germany expelled them in 1872, so and Russia expelled them in 1820 until they were formally readmitted by Lenin in 1922. So <clears throat> the Jesuits have been expelled as a matter of state policy, not as a matter of their religion, in that they're always dabbling in politics seeking to control the state. And the ultimate expulsion was uh, Pope Clement XIV's papal bull of suppression and extinction. Uh, Dominic Aqueducta Noster that he signed in 1773, uh, which officially did away with the Jesuit order.
1: Now, could you tell us how, uh, just in a quick recap before we get into some other interesting points, just how the Jesuits have infiltrated and have uh, a working relationship with people like the Knights of Malta, the Shriners, the Freemasons, Knights of Columbus, and other groups. How does this uh, work? After your research, uh, after you've done extensive research into this,
2: okay. Um,
6: with regard to the Knights of Malta, the Jesuits control the Pope, the Black Pope controls the White Pope. With uh, the Black Pope being, being Peter Hans Kolenbach, the White Pope being uh, Pope Benedict XVI. the Sixteenth, the Pope then controls the Knights of Malta, and that the Grand Master of the Knights of Malta is a Cardinal, and he was conferred that status by Leo the Thirteenth around 1878. Uh, The Jesuits control, again, the papacy, uh, and thus they control the Knights of Columbus through the papacy. Uh, The Jesuits wrote all the high rites of Scottish Rite Freemasonry. They wrote the first 25 rites in the College of Clermont in Paris, France in 1754, according to my Masonic book, Ask Me Another Brother, a Masonic quiz book. And so they wrote the first 25 degrees of Scottish Rite, and they wrote the last 8 degrees when they were protected by Frederick the Great. Uh, when they were expelled and suppressed by the Pope, so they created the Council of the Thirty Third Degree, and those control all high-level Freemasonry. In fact, Leo XIII's uh, Secretary of State, uh, Cardinal Rompalla, was a member of the high-level Masonic O.T.O. Order of Oriental Templars, the same as with Alistair Crowley. So the Jesuits control Freemasonry. Uh, not through the papacy, but directly through the the black pope himself via the Illuminati and other secret societies, and then they controlled the Roman Catholic brotherhoods through the pope and thus his hierarchy. How would you say they went
1: about? uh, One of the things that I've I've read uh, that you've uh, researched is that one of their main goals was to infiltrate the Catholic Church. They knew they had to do this in order to um, reach their goal with uh, their other uh, minions and that means the goal of the new world order to take over the world tell us how uh i guess they uh, began this uh, when did this begin and how is it what is the present situation in the in the vatican okay the
6: the jesuit order is the spearhead or the backbone behind the counter-reformation and therefore the purpose of the order was to thwart the reformation bring it to naught And then after that, uh, bringing a pope of their power, a pope of their control, to ruling the world through uh, the third Hebrew temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. That's always been their plan. And so they have had success in the past, but then suppressed in the past. And really, to know their power now, we have to go back to their uh, formal reinstitution by the past 7th in 1814, when they were revived and... And created fresh and actually brought back into power, but nothing had ever changed. And so from 1815 to the present, that's probably the most important period of history for us to review and know about. Okay.
1: And now bring it up to today's uh, situation so we okay. can understand how it works there. And I just want to add something. Uh, when I was there, I used to work in Rome and I worked as a, a freelance reporter. Uh, and I was talking to people back about 20 years ago regarding the same subject and the same subject came up there and the Italian people and some people that were researching it were very clear that there was some group headed by the black Pope controlling the Vatican Uh, and that was 20 years ago so tell us a little bit about the situation uh, that exists in in modern-day Rome
6: well without a doubt the, the black Pope rules the Vatican he rules uh, the Pope, he rules the hierarchy, he rules, he rules the Curia. Uh, his headquarters is Borgo Santo Spirito, no. number five, outside of Vatican walls. And thus, he, he, although he controls different factions, because within the papacy, you don't have a total unity of orders and individuals. So he controls the factions, or he, 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 uh, he brings about the success of certain factions while thwarting others but ultimately at the very pinnacle of power stands the Jesuits and his assistants and they enter and control of the papacy. Uh, and, in fact, when I spoke at, um, in Nevada several years ago, there was a, a Roman Catholic woman there, and she said to me, I want to know why you're still alive. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I just believe the Lord is sovereign. He'll take care of me, and when he's finished with me, then he will allow the, the Jesuits to kill me. As long as I keep personal sin out of my life and I seek to be obedient to him. And she says, I want you to know that in the Catholic Church I went to for years, that when the Jesuits ever came, our priests were all scared to death and had the nervous sweats. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, that's a question. I
1: mean, you make no bones about it. You've done the research, and I know you're not talking just. Uh, uh, from the top of your head here, you've researched this issue, and I know your heart is in the right place to get at the bottom of this evil that's taken over in our government. We can see it. And then the stories I just mentioned at the outset of the show, the killing of Itzhak Rabin, uh, the, the jailing of Leo Wanta, a, a very loyal U.S. Treasury agent who's tra- trying to do the right thing, Vince sure. Foster, all these murders.
6: Kenneth Starr is CFR. He's a dirty, stinking rat. Okay, and what is <laughs> – you don't make any bones about it. No, that. and we shouldn't. We should call a spade a spade. Kenneth Starr is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He's a good buddy of Clinton, Dick Cheney, all those other criminals, I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, which group should be abolished. In fact, it should be tried for high treason, and every one of them executed. Yeah. Just like the Royal Institute for International Affairs in England, the papacy runs to England through the RIIA, just as it does here through the CFR. Commission: Now, when
1: you uh, were talking to that, uh, that uh, Catholic lady, uh, the question now arises: How do you differentiate? And I know uh, I just want you to explain this to our listeners. when people think of the Jesuits, they think of the Catholic order. They are anything but that's correct uh, that. Can you explain that and how we can differentiate? between that, and how far deep does this go into the Jesuit Order? I'm sure there's some priests in the Jesuit Order that uh, have no idea what's going on at the time. Correct, correct. But explain this, and how this division is made. Okay, to begin with, the Jesuit Order is
6: not subject to to the Pope or any member of the Roman hierarchy, bishop, archbishop, or cardinal.
1: Okay, I cut you short there, I didn't look at the clock, but we'll get back continue right after this break on the investigative journal here on the radio right here on the air basically what i'm doing with eric phelps is uh he's taking off the uh the black cloth of the jesuits right now he's exposing them for what he thinks they really are eric go ahead so people can understand what this order really is all about okay um
6: their their secret worship is luciferianism or satanism in fact, I just discovered a, a piece out of uh, Rene Philip Muller's great work, The Secret and Power of the Jesuits, where the Jesuits has portrayed the Jesuits as worshiping Baphomet and Satan, and they have an owl at the top of the picture. And it's the very owl that's used at the Bohemian Grove with the Jesuits established in Northern California many years ago. So they're Satanists, they're Luciferians, they're the Office of Skull and Bones. Uh, the Jesuits are the ultimate skull and bonesmen, and the, and the initiation of the skull and bones involves Matthew de Pompadour, who they desecrate, because she was the one who motivated Louis XV to expel the Jesuits from France in 1767. So the Jesuits are Luciferians, and they want to establish a one-world government out of Jerusalem, out of the third Hebrew temple, where it will be the worship of Satan, and thus they're merely using the papacy as a means to this end.
1: As, as they are involved also uh, with their temporal, uh, as you call them, coagitators yes. uh, in our government and governments around the world. Yes. Is that the way you view it from your research? Absolutely.
6: The temporal coagitators of America, the trusted third party that Ignatius Loyola speaks of in his secret instructions, is the Council on Formulations that was established in 1921 with House and a few others. Uh, in England, it's the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It was founded in 1919, and they have controlled England, I say, and says George III. So, the Jesuits always have a trusted third party whereby they control a government. Before their suppression, they always were the confessors or advisors to the king and queens and, and monarchs. How did now, they, uh, they, You know, if I may interrupt,
1: it just came to me. How did they, uh, how did they get this type of obedience?
6: And that's the secret of of Ignatius loyal is spiritual exercises. Uh, And the spiritual exercises, what they essentially do is divest themselves of every vestige of their own private free wills and completely and totally prostrate their free wills to their superior, telling all of their lives, all of their secret vices, all of their failures and successes, so that with, a, with a, a look at their record, the general or the superior of the novice whoever it might be, knows implicitly the life of this man. And so they, they have learned this absolute obedience, as Ignatius Loyola called it, uh, to be obedient like the stick in the hand of an old man through the spiritual exercises. And as we move on,
1: uh, I just wanted to, uh, Dr. Foy, have a couple of minutes before the break, how, how deep does this go because i know my first uh, uh when i first learned of the jesuits i was a high school student uh, going to notre dame high school uh with under the holy cross fathers uh from notre dame and across the across town was the was Loyola high school uh with the jesuits uh now how deep does this go i mean uh only the higher level jesuits in rome uh, how do they how do they operate so the
6: Remember that the Jesuit order is a military order, as Napoleon told us in his uh, memoirs. And so they have a chain of command. The general, the superior general, uh, is in command of the lower generals. And, of course, the superior general has his assistants. Each assistant is in charge of an assistancy. And there are t- presently ten assistancies in the world. And so these assistants then, underneath them, have what's called provincials. And the provincials are subject then to the assistant. In the United States, there are 10 provincials who then answer to the assistant in Rome. And the judges have broken the world down into, I believe at this moment, 85 different regions, or 85 provinces. There's 10 regions and 85 provinces. And therefore... Uh, these 85 provincials are subject to their assistance, and they filed their monthly reports, and maybe even more often than that now, so that the assistants in Rome know absolutely and completely every political, financial, religious, social movement in that country, so they can coordinate together what they intend to do. So it's absolute obedience, it's a military organization, it's a soldiership the Jesuit general is a general of a foreign power. He's regarded as the sovereign of all sovereigns, and that's how it works.
1: And uh, after the break, I want to get into your take on this immigration issue, because we know the Catholic Church has supported this illegal immigration of our in our country, and I want to get your take on that. Uh, So let's uh, take a break right now. We'll be back in three minutes. According to my guest, Eric Phelps, uh, the Jesuits are a big part in why this country is uh, breaking up at the seams. If you want to read more about what uh, Eric has researched over the years, uh, this is incredible research work that he's done trying to get at the bottom of what's going on in our country, including uh, things like the murder of John F. Kennedy, the relationships of many people in the Council on Foreign Relations, Prescott Bush, George H. Bush, all people, who Eric Phelps describes as temporal, temporal coagitators of this feared Jesuit order. Go to www.vaticanassassins.org, and you can read all about that. And he has a new uh, book coming out called Vatican Assassins, 3rd uh, Edition, and uh, it has some new information, and some of it we've uh, done on this show in the last uh, few months. And, Eric, I, I did want to get your take on this, uh, the, the Catholic Church coming out in favor of the uh, immigration issue, which seems to be causing strife between, uh, uh, you know, the American people and the illegal immigrants.
6: Go ahead. Uh, first of all, I, I try to use the, another term for those people coming in. I call it an alien invasion. Okay. that the term immigrant implies some legality. Exactly. But, but what they're doing is, is, it goes back to even farther than Naft and Gat, which the Knights of Malta were very much in favor, especially the Iacocca when he came to Clinton and, and encouraged him to sign that. And, of course, Lee, Lee was the was a Knight of Malta and was involved in the Kennedy assassination. But with Naft and Gat, that has aided to the destruction of Mexican industries, and so the Jesuits, remembering that they hated Mexico, that they hated Benito Juarez, they hated Carlos, because Carlos had expelled the Jesuits in the 1920s and did everything he could to release his country from the death grip of the Jesuits. So it seems to be payback time for the Mexicans now. And so they, their industries, their infrastructure has been ruined. The Jesuits' Rockefeller empire has confiscated their oil Taking their natural resources, and thus these uh, Mexican people, Mexican Roman Catholic people, are now being encouraged with this Aslan movement for the retaking of the Southwest. And so they're coming in by the millions, encouraged by that high-level Freemason, Vincenzo Fox, who was a former head of Coca-Cola down in there in, uh, in Mexico, in, a, in conjunction with his uh, brother Mason, George Bush, and so they're working together to promote this invasion. Now, the question is why? Well, it's the Aslan movement openly, but I also believe that this is going to justify the roundup of these aliens and putting them in concentration camps. And we have somewhat four or 600 concentration camps already in place, and so this will be a justification to begin to use them as arresting these illegal uh, aliens coming in the country. So I think that's one of the major purposes. The other purpose is, is, to, is to unite the white Roman Catholic peoples with the white historic Protestant peoples together. It serves an ecumenical purpose to drive them all into a right-wing fascist position that is espoused by Fox News Network and those Jesuits to control that operation.
1: Okay. Go ahead. Is there anything else you want to add, or does that pretty well cover it?
6: So that pretty well covers it. That's, I believe that's their purpose. And the Roman hierarchy is totally behind it. The parakel of Washington, D.C., Roger Mahoney, Los Angeles, they're all behind it because this is exactly what they want. The overthrow of the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Martial Law, the opening of the camps, and the resident illegal uh, aliens in this country will justify that move. Uh, Let's move on then to uh, something
1: else. I wanted to get back to uh, the way you view, you know, you've described the Jesuit order uh, gaining this obedience from all their uh, temporal coagitators, as you call them, as the ultimate chameleons. Uh, And what you mean by that is they can uh, put uh, uh, put on any government face, can put on any cloth from any religion, blend in, and basically destroyed from within. Absolutely.
6: And, in fact, uh, I just found a quote in a book uh, written in 1916. It's a little paragraph. May I read that to you? Sure. Okay, uh, quote. This is from Watchman. He's an anonymous English Calvinist and patriot. He wrote a book called Roman Germany, the Plot for the Downfall of Britain, written in 1916. Quote, The object of Rome is to subjugate and subdue to conquer and rule the British race and empire. The Vatican is working as it ever has worked and ever will for the humiliation of England. By working upon the vanity, ambition, greed, and selfishness of certain individuals in whom infidelity or false religion has extinguished every patriotic and generous impulse, the Jesuits are able to obtain a number of adherents devoted to their cause, ready to become traitors to their own country, and to sacrifice its interests, prosperity, and power to the ambition of Rome. By means of these secret agents, occupying positions of more or less importance in every order and rank of society and in every office in the state, the Jesuits are able, by combined action, to powerfully influence public opinion and even direct the policy of the country. For these agents are to be found not only in the churches and religious bodies, but in the schools, in the army and the navy, in the working men's clubs, which are the unions, in the press." In Parliament and perhaps even in the Cabinet, our most deadly enemies are those who exist secretly in our midst. And that's yeah, what they've
1: that, done here. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, if we just talked about, let's uh, you know, just put aside the word Jesuit right now, and we started saying, you know, George, how many people are calling George W. Bush a traitor? How many people are calling people in our government treasonous? How many people cannot believe the laws they're passing, uh, which do not reflect the views of Americans? This has to come from somewhere, I mean, and again, when you use the word chameleon and then you put in the Jesuit factor here, add in Georgetown and all the other things you said they control, give us a real flavor of their power in this country right now, if you could, in the next 10 minutes. Uh, Okay.
6: Well, they control all the politics. They control every state capital from here in Harrisburg and Pennsylvania, to Sacramento and California with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and through that Roman Catholic high-level papal knight subject to the provincial Thomas Schmaltz, who is also a good friend of what Warren Buffett. They control Washington, D.C., and have controlled Washington, D.C., since no later than the assassination of Lincoln, because it was Jesuit Bernard of Wigan that did it, and orchestrated it all through John Seward and others. The Jesuits controlled the Federal Reserve Bank, it's run by the Knights of Malta controlling the Class A stockholders, Chase Manhattan, Bank, Morgan Guarantee. In fact, Morgan in New York is a direct telex to the Vatican. Uh, they control all your, your notorious religions, all your historic Protestant churches via Freemasonry. They're all apostate. They're all the National Council, all the World Council churches, and they control all your, all your Romanism, all your Roman Catholicism, regardless of the orders, because those orders must be submitted to them. They control all your higher institutions of learning, all your major universities, because they have a party line there that you cannot deviate from. If you're a professor, you will be expelled if you're not a socialist. So they're the masters behind your education, economics, politics, religion. And when you have that, you have just about every vehicle, the American Medical Association, the American Bar Association, all controlled by the Jesuit order.
1: Incredible, incredible. And I know, what do they do? Uh, basically, we, we uh, talk a lot about all these murder for hires in our government. I mean, this goes on and on and on. Uh, I just received an email uh, recently since the 80s, over 100 scientists and biologists killed and there's some really uh, interesting uh, correlations between what their research researching in, in, in uh, biological warfare and their deaths in strange circumstances. So what do the Jesuits basically, they basically kill uh, people who do not agree with them or find out or try to go against them? Okay, the black pope,
6: the Jesuit general controls the international banking community. With that international banking community, he also controls the international drug trade. With the international drug trade and banking community, he controls all the intelligence agencies. They all work together at the top, from the KGB or the SBR to the CIA to the Mossad to the Pakistani ISI, German BND, British SIS, MI5, MI6. They all work together at the top because at the top are Knights of Malta who run it so then they have, in addition to that, they control all organized crime. They control the Sicilian mafia. They control the Russian mafia. They control the Japanese Yakuza. They control all the mafia and this all organized crime. And therefore, they have a host of assassins that they can choose to use if they decide on a piece of business to eliminate somebody who is truly giving them a problem.
1: And virtually a crime that's, uh, if you control the investigation, just as we see in every one of these murder for hires, if you control the investigation,
6: you basically can get away with murder. That's correct. Just like David Ferry said in the movie JFK, they're untouchable. The only one who can touch them is God, and therefore that's who we need to seek his help and meet him on his terms. And then once we would do that, then hopefully... Lord would put in the heart of one of these popes to suppress the Jesuit order, as he did in 1773. And when the Jesuit order is formally suppressed and extinguished, it has no legal authority to function.
7: Mm -hmm. Now, it may well
6: foment a huge war like it did the French Revolution, Napoleonic Wars, but at least it's formally suppressed
1: And in this country they're deeply embedded in what? Georgetown University and other how many universities they own in this country? I know you Okay,
6: they have twenty eight major universities in this country. Fifty percent of all your Roman Catholic institutions of higher learning are in the United States. The United States is their major springboard of attack in reducing the world and all the governments of the world to submit to the temple power of the Pope. So if the Jesuits were expelled from the United States, that would be a great for liberty and freedom not only here but in the world
1: and I know when you say things like that uh, how and that, I'm thinking about what that lady said to you uh, back in uh, when you were giving that speech in Nevada I think it was how have you stayed safe I know you you basically uh, when if anyone uh, comes you know, tries you know, for example I know that the Jesuits or some people try to criticize you heavily they try to attack you in certain ways and you are very steadfast in your uh, in your research and your work, and you do not allow them uh, basically to get the best of you. I guess that's the best way to put it. How do you confront someone uh, that is basically trying to undermine what you're doing?
6: Well, what I do is I, I try never to have an ad hominem attack until I'm forced to, until they force me to it. What I do is I put forward all the information that I have, some key quotes from some very key people in history, and, and ask them to reconsider their position. And if they don't want to reconsider their position in light of past suppressions and their present power, then I am forced to debate with them if they will debate with me. If they will not debate me or have me on their show, then I'm calling them openly Jesuit temporal coadjutors. And if they want me to withdraw the charge, then they can either host somebody to deal with the Jesuit order or begin to attack them themselves in showing the works that they've done. And I think your motives here are,
1: there's no anti-Catholic motives. You've said that uh, a number of times on, on this show. And your motives are pure in a sense where you want to see our country uh, restored.
6: That's correct. If I was anti-Catholic, I would have never written a book to defend President Kennedy and his Jesuit assassination. we carried out by many high-level prostitute Protestant Freemasons like J. Edgar Hoover and others. So yes, I'm not anti-Roman Catholic people, I'm anti-Pope, anti-His doctrines of infallibility and temple power, anti-Roman hierarchy, anti-Jesuit general and His Jesuit order that seeks to rule the world and deprive what God has established and that national sovereignty for nations is key to... Uh, nations living peacefully with one another. You know what I uh, all I think would be interesting here again to do
1: this. Uh, you have tied. To, you've, you've said something through your research which is very interesting to think about, and that is how they control both sides of most every war yes. that you can think back of. Let's start in uh, the World War II and bring it up in the next few minutes here, and then we have a break, and a few minutes after that bring up how they, uh, did they uh, controlled World War II, both sides of the war, and then how they're doing it now in the Middle East.
6: Okay. Uh, with regard to the Allied Powers, the Jesuits controlled Winston Churchill. Uh, they controlled um, uh, Joseph Stalin. They controlled FDR. And uh, those are the major Allied Powers that controlled those three. With regard to the Axis, they controlled Hirohito. I just finished a piece in my third edition on Hirohito. They controlled uh, Adolf Hitler. They controlled Benito Mussolini. And of course, they controlled all of Hitler's puppets throughout the uh, Eastern Europe. So they controlled both factions. And then, here's the, here's the I hate to use the word beauty, here's the intrigue of it all. Then they coordinate these factions together to accomplish what they want to accomplish. For example, when when Hitler as a uh, general had had just ready to destroy the British, Dunkirk, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Hitler issues the order to stop. And this stop order allows the British to escape. Now, of course, you and your listeners know that when you're in war, you want to kill and annihilate the enemy, because as soon as you do that, the war is over. Well, this was not done. In the invasion of Normandy, on D-Day, when that happened, General Patton said that the war would be over in ten days, because they, shortly thereafter, had the Germans surrounded in the fillet's pocket in France, and Patton went to Eisenhower to request permission to close the fillet's pocket, the stories in a book called Battle of the General, and Eisenhower would not allow him to close that pocket. Therefore. 250,000 German soldiers escaped. And a Little Hart writes in his book on uh, with regard to the war, he didn't know why the Americans allowed that to happen, because that secured the Battle of the Bulge. Mm-hmm. Well, why would they want to extend the war into 1945? Because the majority of your Jews were killed in the concentration camps from June 1944 to April 1945. They had more Jews to kill the Um... So there are things like this that happened. The Battle of Anzio, we see the same thing. Uh, There were Jews, they had to get the Jews out of Rome to take them to Auschwitz, so therefore uh, Anzio had to be fought and Patton was relieved of his command in Sicily, otherwise if he was in charge of U.S. forces he would have went straight to Rome and they would have not have killed all the Jews sent them to Auschwitz as is General Wolf there. So they coordinate both sides together majestically and that's exactly what they're going to do now with the Muslim leaders. And the Anglo American leaders. Well, I might add,
1: just to make it clear, and you're saying through your research that they're able to, and what you've said before, they're able to infiltrate these groups and get these higher powers all playing the same card game, all working with them, correct? Basically, selling out their country and their religions. That's correct okay listen we're going to take a break maybe take a call finish up i want to get your take on the middle east and the jesuit influence we'll be back in three minutes on the investigative journal with eric phelps and one thing eric can you stay about 15 minutes after the hour if you'd like okay yeah maybe we'll yeah we'll hold you about 15 minutes longer than we planned but let me get back uh, to this uh i wanted to get your take now on the middle east how they're setting us up for what many consider to be the uh, World War III.
6: Well, <clears throat> I believe that what the Jesuits are doing is what they did in World War II when they used Germany. I believe the same uh, program they had they implemented for Germany they're going to do here. Therefore, as the German army was used to invade Russia, and its purpose was to annihilate the Orthodox population, but never to overthrow Joseph Stalin, which Hitler made sure that did not happen. Even so, it is now. The purpose of the American military to be in the Middle East, in these Muslim nations, I believe, is that it is a war of annihilation against the Muslim peoples. And uh, this is going to continue along with the destruction of the mosques because the Jesuits used the Germans to destroy many, many Orthodox churches in Russia. So as they're destroying the mosques and the Muslim people, they are also, I believe, going to destroy Mecca and Medina. And blame that on the American military because the Bin Laden construction company they are the only ones who can get near those mosques and therefore since Bin Laden is a member of the Qaeda group with the bushes it only makes sense that they would be given certain mini-nukes or some type of pulse weapon to put in those mosques and ultimately take them out about the times American bombers fighting or fly, fighters are flying overhead. So they're going to blame the destruction of the Mecca and Medina mosques as well as the mosques in Jerusalem on the U.S. And when that happens, then they will declare a complete and total holy war against us, that will never end as long as there's a Muslim on the face of the earth. And uh, that will ultimately result, I believe, in the deliberate sacrifice of our military by our military high command, controlled by the Jesuits through Georgetown, the CFR, and then once our military sacrifice, we will be invaded as Germany was invaded, and our country will be partitioned, and that will be the end of what was once historically white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, Western civilization. And the
1: lineup is now, if you look at what's going on in the news, Russia, China have aligned with the Middle East, mm-hmm. them uh, which means that uh, uh, they would be uh, very angry at us for going over there, giving them a reason to uh,
6: invade our borders, correct? Correct. I call it in my book, the Sino-Soviet Muslim Invasion. But there's also the possibility of, and I've been entertaining recently with some people, see what you think. Remember that Hitler and Stalin divided Poland? Mm-hmm. And then later, Hitler attacks Poland, and later their enemies still and Hitler are supposedly openly enemies, which, of course, they weren't. They worked to a whole duration of the war together. But that could very well happen with the Muslim world, that the U.S., for a while, be allied with Russia. Because Putin's a knight of Malta. Mm-hmm. And so they could, the Jesuits could decide an alliance, a temporary alliance between Russia and the U.S., to do lots of killing in the Middle East, but then ultimately Russia turned against us and they began invaded.
1: Okay, listen. Uh, stay with us after this break. I want to take a couple calls, and we'll be back with Eric Phelps, author of Vatican Assassins: The Ultimate Deception Being Played Right Before Our Very Eyes. And we're listening to Eric Phelps' research into how the uh, America's gotten into the position it's in now. I mean, we're really we see on a daily basis our liberties taken away. We see the dollar uh, devalued. We see everything happening. Our government uh, basically run on with a bunch of wires and thieves who are showing themselves daily. If you look closely at exactly what they're doing, Eric Phelps uh, uh, research has now uncovered uh, some startling things to many people. For people who have researched this before, it's not so startling, but all goes back to the Vatican, the black pope, the Jesuit order and its minions throughout the world who are bringing up about another major war. Let me take a call. Uh, Carson in Canada, you're on the investigative journal. Hi, Greg. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I enjoy your show. Well, oh, thank you, and we've kept Eric here, so I uh, hope have a question. Yes, I have a quick question for Eric. Um,
6: the Jesuits must have a lobby in uh, Washington, D.C. Who represents the Jesuits? Um, the Jesuits are, well, they have what's called a, a Jesuit conference. Or they uh, they make known their wishes through that. For example, they utterly condemned gun ownership and a few other things. But um, they could they really use the Roman hierarchy to put forth what they want in Washington? Well, uh,
1: unlike the Zionist lobby, who who are very front and center and, and very in the face with, with, with all their uh, political uh, affiliations and uh, they're they're really obvious and so. Um, are, are, are you
6: saying that uh, the Jesuits don't have an obvious lobby? I'm saying that they do have, it's called the Jesuit Conference, which they do lobby there, and there are Jesuits daily in Washington, but with regard to the Zionists, the Jesuits rule the Zionists. They've controlled the Zionists since their inception back in the late 1800s, and they run the government of Israel. Yes. Um, you
1: mentioned um, the Jesuits during World War II in Germany. Um, I, I don't remember uh, any of the history. I read where the Jesuits had a had a separate flag flying in World War II Germany, where the Zionists did.
6: Well, the Jesuits controlled Hitler and Himmler. Himmler designed the SS after the Jesuit order. Himmler was a very powerful individual in Bavaria, and he was put in that office by Michael Cardinal von Faulhaber, who was the Archbishop of Munich, and thus he was uh, probably 200 yards away from the Jesuit College, or Jesuit Church of St. Michael's there in Munich. So the whole Third Reich was birthed out of Bavaria, and the Jesuits ruled Bavaria. So the Jesuits are not seeking uh, a country of their own like the Zionists have done, Okay. And have uh, wreaked a lot of havoc on the world.
1: Designers have Carson. Uh, if I could just say, Carson, answer? this is Greg Szymanski. Carson, are you there? Hi. Oh, hi. I just want to add something here, just from my point of view, uh, from some of the research I've done. Uh, there's a point in this discussion here where we have to understand that the Jesuits uh, do not openly. Uh, what you're talking about is a group who work under the table, so to speak. They don't let their intentions be known, according to uh, Eric Phelps and other researchers. They basically are the ultimate chameleons. So they're not going to fly a flag. They're not going to tell you who they are. They may be a Catholic, but yet be a Satanist. They may be, say, they're a Jew and they're a Satanist. Basically, what they do because they hide behind the claw, and we'll get back. i got to take a break. You stay on there, Carson, and, and uh, Eric, you come back. We've got a whole bunch of callers I want to get to. We'll extend this a little longer. Uh, we'll be back in three minutes on the investigative journal. The uh, Assassins, uh, he's going to stick with us. We've got a whole bunch of callers uh, I want to get to. Carson, I'm sorry I interrupted you there. I wanted to get your point across, so go right ahead.
6: Okay, I, Eric, I'd like to come at this, uh, what I'm trying to say, at a little
1: different angle, if I may. Like, uh, I'm thinking of Democratic presidential candidate John Kerry,
6: who is Jewish. Uh, He's skull and bones. Pardon? He's skull and bones. Uh, yeah, well, his parents is Jewish, and
1: his wife is Jewish, and his younger brother is a Jewish, Jewish right? woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I, I really, really think the influence of Israel... on the the North American continent, including Canada, is way out of proportion to what it should be. So, you know, I I just want to say this. um, Do you feel there's a conspiracy by the Israeli, the Jewish people, to overdo their influence in our way of life?
6: I believe that the Jews that we see are the Pope's Masonic Jewish scientists. They're loaded all throughout the CFR and also in Canada. But the average Jewish people—they're not how uh, to overthrow a way of life. Uh, we have to look at their leaders, like Blomkamp and others. They're the ones that are controlled by the papacy, and thus they are controlled by the Jesuits. Yes,
1: yeah. I, 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 can you offer any, any place where one could research this that the Jesuits had such influence in our life?
6: Uh, yes, you can. Uh, there's a couple books apart from mine. You can get Edmund Paris' great works, uh, The Vatican Against Europe. You can get his uh, Secret History of the Jesuits. Uh, Greisinger wrote a tremendous two-volume set called The Jesuits: uh, The History of the Order Told to the German People. Um, in fact, there's a there's a group called the Bank of Wisdom if you get on the internet. And even though it's an atheistic group, they put a CD together well, composing all these tremendous books on the Jesuits on the CD. Called bank of com, I believe. And there, if you get their CD, you can get a pretty good history viewer for my book if you ever wanted to get to have that when it comes out.
1: And uh, Carson, I'm mad at you. You can go to www.vaticanassassins.org and get some information there. Thanks a lot, uh, Carson. i got to move on. Carl in Oklahoma, you're on the Investigative Journal.
0: Yes, great. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, go ahead. Nice Eric, to have you. Eric, uh, uh, as to the black popes, uh, they are listed in the several prophecies. I'm sure you're aware of the prophecies. No, I'm not. Uh, well, one of the major black popes that they just put in is Negroponte. If you do a, a, a <laughs> well, report, there's no de- uh, his name, it's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Negra, it's, meaning the Negro or the black, and yeah, Ponti means the pontificate or the pomp, uh, pope.
6: Yeah, John Negroponte is a very evil, wicked individual. I believe he's booking snake. He's a member of the CFR. Most assuredly, serves the Jesuit Order.
0: Yes. Uh, I left my number with the uh, with the uh, producer, and if you can please uh, call after I have some clarification information for you uh, that that I wish you could consider. I
6: would love to talk with
0: you. Also, if you can uh, uh, do a uh, computer search on John's uh, website, there RBN website, and look at Eric uh, Williams' website. And uh, go to the site. you'll see a, a list of a uh, conference call that we do on Thursday nights.
6: Eric Williams.
0: Okay. Yes. He, he has a show at 11 a.m. till noon on RBN.
6: RBN, okay.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day, and I thank you both for do- what you're doing for the world. Okay. Thank we you. are thank at the end time.
1: Thank you, Carl. i want to move right on. John in California. John, are you there? Yes. Go ahead. You're on the investigative journal. Yeah, and uh, your <coughs> guest name is uh, Eric. Eric Phelps. Yes. Eric,
6: uh, are you online? Uh, on? Yes, I am, John. What's your website? It is www.vaticanassassins.org. Vaticanassassins.org. Dot org. Dot com anyway. is theirs. org is mine. Okay, <laughs> I got part of that. I, I didn't know what the if it was dot org or dot com or whatever. Yeah, org.
1: I just wanted to ask you a question. Sure. Have you ever uh, read uh, John Doctor John Coleman's works? Uh, He wrote a book called The Committee of Three Hundred. Yes,
5: very good. Uh, I
1: believe he. uh, You're right on point with a lot of the uh, things you're talking about. But uh, I wanted to ask you uh, how you felt about the his. You take a pyramid. Uh, The Jesuits were really uh, weren't they? Weren't they just pretty much a strong arm of the New World Order?
6: Well,
7: there's
1: so he, when he, he mentions names, that's a really a good uh, source
6: if anybody wanted to read that. Uh, that when I read about, it, I liked uh, it very well. In I, fact, he brought out a fact I hadn't known, and that was that Joseph Renninger, who was a high-level Freemason and a Jesuit, was a founder of the Bilderbergers. So John Coleman has put out some very good information. I believe the Committee of 300, though, is at the top of Masonic, not a Malta, and they're controlled ultimately by the Vatican to the Black Pope right now you do you think that
1: the, the
6: vatican pretty much controls uh the industrialists the bankers the uh the uh powers that be? Absolutely. absolutely 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 we we the wealthiest men in the world are gentle okay. the way he explains it in the book he feels like that the most
1: of the royal families uh in europe and uh are at the top of the at the top of the pyramid not the not the vatican
6: you said, and, uh, see, I would, I would defer with him on that, on the basis of Revelation 17:18 that the woman was passed as a great city, which reigns as of the kings of the earth, which is indeed Rome. But Rome controls all the black nobility, all the nobles, uh, well, that makes through, sense. through their secret societies, that's right. He didn't, use a, he didn't use a whole lot of, uh, of scripture
1: reference, mm-hmm. to, uh, especially in Revelations, to the order that he showed in, in his book. Yeah. It was mostly uh, his own experience. I, I guess he was he was in counterintelligence. He with British British intelligence, in the, in, I believe. Yes. Israel. Israel. And mm-hmm. Greg, I, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Go right ahead. I just wonder if you ever heard. I, uh, you know, he he kind of disappeared. About or maybe you, Eric, um, he, if you if you if if, if he's still alive. I, I don't that, know. You know, he right, was I, supposed I, to be. I haven't heard from him or.
6: Used I don't be, know what happened. Uh, the first time I ever heard in. him
1: was. I believe, on John Stapmiller's program a long, long time ago, probably six six years ago. Well, I don't know either. I'll ask John, though. Maybe he knows where he's at. Right. Okay. okay. Anything so else? Thank you, thank you very much for, for both you guys doing what you're doing. All right. Thank, thank you. Uh, I want to get to Charles in Texas. Uh, Charles, you're on the investigative
4: journal. Uh, hello, men. Uh, Mr. Phelps, how is your, your book going to be
6: available? It's going to be strictly through the Internet. Uh, no, know, there'll be some people selling it. My old publisher will be offering it first at CD, and hopefully a gentleman has offered to find me some money for the first printing, but it'll be first on CD. Yeah. Is it still going to be in May? Well, I'm
4: shooting exactly. for June 1st. June 1st, yeah. Also, do you, I know you talk about uh, Masonic and Jesuit involvement in, like, racial instigation here in America. Yes. Do you think uh, they're involved with these the illegal immigration, the protests are going on right now.
6: Absolutely. It's the whole Aslan movement that the Jesuits are backing for the purpose of taking back the Southwest, making it, re- reuniting it with Mexico. And it is very much Masonic and very much backed by the Roman hierarchy. Just like all the racial agitation between the blacks and the whites and so on, all done by the Jesuits to divide the peoples for the purpose of having internal insurrection and revolution that further justifies martial law. Yeah, I look at the on the Aslan, uh website, and half of it's like anti-Israel and pro-PLO and all this. That's, see, that's a sign. That's Jesuit control. They're also anti-white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Look for that too. Have you have you ever heard of a book called uh, Malcolm X's Last Speeches? It's yes. by a guy named Bruce
4: Perry. I've ne- I have heard of the book, but I've never read it. I- I've read through it, and it Malcolm X talks about how the Ku Klux Klan, how uh, Elijah Muhammad once brought in. James yeah. Venable, Ku Klux Klan lawyer, yeah. to represent the,
6: the yeah. Nation of Islam in yeah. rural Louisiana. Yeah. Nathan, Malcolm X, who, I, who is the one I have the utmost respect for, I devote two pages into my book. He was the one who said the Nation of Islam and the Ku Klux Klan have the same paymasters. It and, and also said that the, the Ku Klux Klan was going to give the
4: Nation of Islam land in the Carolinas or Georgia. To Georgia. Their own, own They've country. already done it. If you're on farms, that's right. They work together. Very so interesting. I've been a fan for years for a while. I've been waiting and to talking to for a long time, but thank you. My, my pleasure. pleasure.
1: All right. Eric, I'll tell you something. Um, I've kept you longer than you uh, you were planning, but let me mention something. I have a, a my last guest, and uh, I just wanted to mention this to you. I thought you might be interested. Uh, I'm going to do a segment with uh, a person who's con- uh, called a duplessy orphan, and this is a story that goes back to CIA Uh, uh, mind control programs, use of illegal drugs on children and there's thousands of these children now surfacing and uh, it's interesting that they come from Catholic orphanages uh, who basically were working together with the government changing uh, these innocent children. My my guest is Pierre Sampson today who at six years old was in a Catholic orphanage and overnight he was considered insane and used uh, in mind control and drug experiments. Uh, just another side shoot of how uh, perhaps this infiltration of the church has been going on for a long, long time. Um, it, this was back in the 50s when this started. Mm-hmm. But anyway... You just you comment on that? Or? Yeah, I just wanted
6: you to, to comment well, on that. Well, my, uh, my understanding of that is that um, the Jesuits, of course, had put together the SS, and the SS was the, like the Jesuit order within the Third Reich policing the party and policing the armies and, and uh, most everything else. But at the end of the war, then the Vatican enabled the high officers of the SS, including Heinrich Himmler, to escape and got them out through the Vatican rat lines and brought them into the U.S. And then a couple of years later, in 1947, created the Central Intelligence Agency, which was a continuation of the SS. Out of the CIA, you have MKUltra and these horrible people. Okay, Eric. Well, thanks for being with us. We'll have you on
5: again. And uh, I need to take a break. That was Eric Phelps. That was Eric Phelps, author of Vatican's Assassins. 4-7 World Radio. Eric John Phelps back now.
1: The investigative journal. And before I get to my.
5: Well, sorry about that. Just checking out what's uh bank of wisdom that uh, Eric Phelps mentioned. And, uh, well, let's see something here. The uh, foot of the Jesuits. Let's Let's deviate a little bit. We will forget about Josh Abrams. And maybe we'll listen to a book. The Footprints of the Jet... I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to go down this direction. All right, check it out.
2: Prince of the Jesuits By R. W. Thompson Ex-Secretary of the Navy, and author of the Papacy and the Civil Power It was very difficult, not to say impossible, that the Church could recover a firm or durable peace so long as the said society existed. Pope Clement X. I. V. The Jesuits, by their very calling, by the very essence of their institution, are bound to seek, by every means, right or wrong, The destruction of Protestantism. This is the condition of their existence, the duty they must fulfill, or cease to be Jesuits. Nicolini, of Rome. In Cincinnati, Cranston and Kurtz. New York, Hunt and Eaton. 1894. V. Copyright by Cranston and Kurtz. Preface. The civil institutions of the United States could not have been formed without the separation of church and state and could not continue to exist if they were again united. Christianity could not maintain its primitive purity if politics and religious faith were mingled together. Nor could the state preserve its capacity to provide for the general welfare if subjected to the dominion of ecclesiastical authority. Our success as a nation is mainly attributable to the fact that these sentiments are deeply embedded in the American mind. A party pledged to restore to the Pope the temporal power which the Italian people have taken away, must necessarily be politico-religious in character, because it proposes to interfere with the temporal affairs of one of the European nations. And if the attempt to do this is justified upon the ground that such restoration involves religious duty, anyone can see that the obligation is the same in the United States as in Italy, for the laws of God do not shift to suit the exigencies of human affairs. In the times before the Reformation the temple affairs of governments were required to conform to the commands of the ecclesiastical authority, that is, the Pope and it was held to be a necessary and essential part of religion that this union should be continued, no matter what might be the degree of popular ignorance and humiliation. The founders of our government started out upon a different theory, believing it to be their duty to separate the things of God from the things of Caesar, so that each could reach perfection in its own distinct sphere. Therefore, it is clear that a politico-religious party in this country pledged to unite church and state in Italy against the expressed will of the Italian people not only must oppose one of the fundamental principles of our government but disturb the public peace. To my mind, it is also clear that a nation acts politically and not religiously when it decides upon the structure of its temporal government that is, whether its affairs shall be managed by an absolute or elective monarch or by machinery provided by a written constitution. I have, therefore, refrained from the discussion or criticism of religious belief as it is understood in the American sense any further than it is made the pretext for the reversal of this opinion, so generally prevalent in this country. It would be an evil day for the people of the United States if they should be persuaded to permit any power whatsoever, whether temporal or spiritual, at home or abroad to share with them any portion of their political authority, or to dictate, in any degree, the measures of their civil polity. In reminding those into whose hands this volume may chance to fall, of their obligations of citizenship under our popular form of government, I have found it absolutely necessary to portray the character of the Jesuits, but for whom, in my opinion, there would be but little to disturb us. The society has nothing in common with American ideas or principles, It represents monarchism in its most despotic and obnoxious form, by requiring each of its members to impersonate the most abject servility, and to accept this humiliation as an absolutely necessary part of religious faith. It has had a history unlike that of any other society in the world. In pointing out its origin and tracing its footprints among the nations, I have relied upon the most undoubted authority, much of which is furnished by Jesuit authors, A careful examination of the evidence will leave the mind of the reader in no doubt as to the odium which rested upon the society from the beginning, as well as the manner in which it has disturbed the quiet of the nations, defied the popes themselves when adverse to them, and disregarded the interest, welfare, and harmony of the church it professed to serve, when required by its general. I have deemed it important to trace out some of the leading events which have transpired under the pontificates of Gregory XVI, Pius IX and Leo XIII, up to the present time. In this way only is it possible to understand the full meaning of the revolution which led to Italian unity and the overthrow of the temple power of the Pope by Roman Catholic populations, and what is involved in the demand for its restoration. In doing this I have considered only such matters as are politico-religious, in the sense common among the people of the United States and which cannot be made a part of religious faith without doing violence to the recognized spirit of our civil institutions. Thus I have avoided any conflict with those who prefer the Roman Catholic to the Protestant form of religious belief, for the express reason that I have neither the purpose nor desire to question their right to do so. It seems to me that the constitutional guarantee which protects this right ought to be satisfactory to all, and cannot be disturbed without imperiling our government. Therefore, all I desire will be accomplished if I shall succeed in convincing thoughtful Roman Catholics that it will be far better for all of us if they shall decline to accept the politico-religious teachings of the Jesuits as a part of their religious faith, and content themselves without interference with the political affairs of their Christian brethren in Italy they may maintain fidelity to the government as patriotically as professed Protestants, without abating their devotion to the spiritual doctrines which prevailed in their church before the fall of the Roman Empire and enabled the popes to place the crown of temporal royalty upon their heads. To this end I would, if permitted, appeal to that portion of our population in all sincerity, and invoke the exercise of their intelligence no less than their patriotism. And if any of them shall peruse this volume and carefully consider its contents, they will see that when I have written centers in the hope that the Protestants and Roman Catholics of the United States shall live together in the concord of Christian fellowship, emulating each other in those things that shall tend most to promote their mutual happiness, and preserve for their common posterity the civil and religious liberty guaranteed by our Constitution and laws. There are abundant evidences to show that the Jesuits have adopted a loose code of morality, upon which they had built up a system of moral theology as irreconcilable with the true teachings of the Roman Catholic religion as they are with the well-established doctrines of all Protestant Christians. But I have refrained from any discussion of these, not only because this is sufficiently done by Pascal and Burt, in France, and by numerous American authors, but because my main object is to show that the triumph of the Jesuits in this country would bring about such a condition of things as would imperil our civil institutions. They teach as religious doctrines necessary to salvation the following. That the state must be reunited with the church, and be required to obey its spiritual commands in the enactment of laws. That the Roman Catholic religion shall be established by law as the only true religion, and every other form of religious belief treated and punished as heresy. That, along with this destruction of the freedom of religious belief, there must be corresponding restrictions placed upon the liberty of speech and of the press. That the Roman Catholic Church shall be recognized as an organization exempt from obedience to all our laws relating to the ownership and management of real property. That the clergy of that church shall be also exempt from obedience to the laws as other citizens, and shall obey only such as the Pope may prescribe. And that our common school system of education must be absolutely and entirely destroyed. If, in these things, the Jesuits should obtain success, our government would necessarily come to an end. And what this volume contains has been written alone with the view of making this question plain and palpable to the ordinary reader. I have written from the standpoint of an American citizen, thoroughly impressed with the belief that this is the most prosperous country in the world, and not from that of a theologian. About the duties and obligations of the former to the government, I assume to have learned something from both instinct and education. But about the metaphysical subtleties of the theologians, I do not trouble myself. I know how difficult it is to escape the accusation of a persecuting spirit from those who, like the Jesuits, allow nothing for honest differences of opinion. This, however ought not to be permitted to interfere with the plain and obvious duty of defending our civil institutions from any assault made upon them, no matter by whom, or in whose name, the assailing forces shall be marshaled with the consciousness, therefore, that this volume may subject me to the imputation of uncharitableness from some upon whom I would inflict no injury in return, I have expressed myself with candor and fairness, and have written nothing in malice. R. W. T. WT. 1894. Contents. Chapter I. Introductory. Abolition of the Pope's Temporal Power. The Pope commands its restoration organization for that purpose duties of American citizens. 15. Chapter 2. Ignatius Loyola, Founder of the Order. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit Society, his original purpose to reform the Church, and to establish his society in Palestine having failed. He was compelled to have it approved by the Pope. This was done by Paul III, after the Constitution was amended. 32. Chapter 3. The Constitution of the Society. The Constitution of the Jesuits entirely monarchical substitutes the general for God upon earth and committed without offense when the general commands it. The general independent of the Pope, the society obey him alone. 49. Chapter 4. Government of the Society. Loyola, a soldier of fortune, his monarchical government, his unpopularity among the Dominican monks, his plottings against the Franciscans at Saragossa and condemnation by the church authorities, his success accomplished only by aid of monarchical power. 66. 9. 10 Contents. Chapter 5. Struggles and Opposition conduct of the Jesuits at Toledo in Spain opposition of the church authorities to them they again get protection from royal power the effort to get into France position of the French people to them long continued struggle 84 chapter 6 the struggle for France continued struggle of the Jesuits to get into France resisted by the parliament their intrigues and reliance upon royal power council at Poissy attended by the Jesuit general who suppressed discussion with Protestants, their reliance upon Catherine de' Medici's her aid in the St. Bartholomew Massacre, 99. Chapter 7. The Society Enters Germany. Jesuit efforts to get into Germany less difficulty than in France when they reached there, Protestants and Roman Catholics living in peace Jesuit German college at Rome teaching treason to German youth as a religious duty, 114. Chapter 8. The Jesuits in England. Plottings of the Jesuits in England Their opposition to religious toleration Opposition to Elizabeth by the Pope And her trial at Rome Papal decree deferring her And releasing the English people From their allegiance to her 130 Chapter 9 Jesuit Influence in India Jesuit Mission to India Imposition of Xavier upon the monks of Goa Has Pretended Miracles 152 Chapter 10 In Paraguay the Jesuits in Paraguay, their government of the Indians, their resistance to the authority of the Spanish and the Portuguese governments, 168. Contents. 11. Chapter Xi. The Portuguese and the Jesuits. Conflict between the Portuguese and the Jesuits, charges against them laid before the Pope, Benedict XIV, investigation ordered by him, 183. Chapter XII. Idolatrous usages introduced. Jesuits become idolaters by the worship of Brahma in India, and of Confucius in China, 196. Chapter XIII People's Suppression of the Society Clement XIII was compelled by public opinion to promise the suppression of the Jesuits, but was murdered they were suppressed by Clement XIV, who was poisoned his decree of suppression, 217. Chapter XIV Our Establishment T the Jesuits evade the decree of the popes suppressing them, and seek shelter in Russia and Prussia. They were re-established by Pius VII, to aid the allied powers to perpetuate monarchism. 236. Chapter XV. Are Entering Spain. The Jesuits re-enter Spain. They support Ferdinand VII in trampling upon the Constitution. They arouse a revolutionary spirit among the people. 257. Chapter XVI. Revolutions in Southern Europe. Retrogressive policy of Gregory XVI holds the Italians in subjection by the Austrian army, is succeeded by Pius IX during the revolution. 282. 12 Contents Chapter XVI Temporal power of the Pope overthrown. Pius IX unable to quiet the revolution, he drives the Jesuits out of Italy. Italy unites with Sardinia. Italian independence established. And the temporal power of the Pope abolished terms of conciliation proposed
5: by Victor Emmanuel and rejected by the Pope, the new government anathematized. Three ha- Six. Chapter XPIII. People Demands.
2: Distinction between the Church and the Papacy Allocution of Pius IX Demand for the Restoration of the temporal Power An Act of Infallibility Leo XII Elected, educated by the Jesuits, refused to be reconciled to modern progress His encyclical demands temporal Power Prefers the Middle Ages His Jesuit Training, 329 Chapter XIX Present Attitude of the Papacy the faithful in the United States required to organize to restore the temple power The question international won its opposition to the policy of this country opinion of Leo XIII. Upon freedom of the press, he condemns separation of church and state politico-religious questions. 347. Chapter XX. The Church and the State. Doctrines maintained by Leo XIII before he became pope, the union of church and state, absolute obedience to the church. 366. Chapter XXI. The Church Supreme. The Church, the Mistress of All Nations, Its Right to Command Universal Obedience. The School Question Manager Sitali, The Vice Pope, His Theory as Dictated by the Pope. Our common schools, heretical, must be superseded by parochial schools, where religion is taught. 388. Contents. 13. Chapter XXII. Jesuitical Teachings. Doctrines of Thomas Aquinas also those of the Jesuits, the jury, and de facto governments, the United States, the latter, and may be resisted persistence in these teachings. 407. Chapter xxiii, Papal Infallibility. The decree of infallibility, its passage by the Vatican Council, its definition and meaning extends the jurisdiction of the Pope, gives him authority over politico-religious questions throughout the world. 427. Chapter XXIV. The Church and Literature. People teachings by means of literature arraignment of American institutions attack upon the liberties of the people-free institutions are heretical religion requires their overthrow. 443. Chapter XXV. Intrigues and Interpretations. The temporal power hurtful to the Church has led to its disintegration maintained by oppressions designed to check the Reformation infallibility essential to a Jesuit influence in the Council of Trent perversions of Scripture infallibility not decreed by the Council of Trent, 463. Chapter XXVI Conclusion The Vatican Council Effect of the Decree of Infallibility The bullinum Sanctam of Boniface VIII Absolute Dominion Over Peoples and Nations Necessity of Guarding Against It In the United States' Importance of Common Schools The Duty of Keeping Them Free from Jesuit Control 479 Footprints of the Jesuits Chapter I Introductory The American people have imbibed, from association, the spirit of their civil institutions, and are ready at all times to repel any direct assault upon them. They are, however, so actively engaged in their various pursuits, that multitudes of them fail to realize the necessity of inquiring whether the conflict between opposing principles of government which resulted in our national independence, has or has not ended whether, in other words, the victory the founders of the Republic won over monarchism, is or is not final those who won this victory intended to provide against this seeming want of vigilance by means of some system of education, which should assimilate the principles and opinions of the people, as a perpetual bulwark against aggression. This would have been accomplished long ago if the paternal counsels of Presidents Washington and Madison had been heeded as they deserved to be, that we should educate our youth in the science of government, one under the auspices and protection of national authority. Instead of this, we have considered ourselves sufficiently shielded by our system of public school education, under state control, and have mainly relied upon this to fit our children for citizenship and self-government. Hitherto, we have not been seriously disturbed by the apprehension that it would result in failure, and for that reason it has been maintained with great popular unanimity. It is now, however, assailed with violence, and, manifestly, with the purpose of destroying it entirely. Hence, We are all required, by obligations we cannot rightfully evade, to rest long enough from our active avocations to discover, if possible, why this is what motives impel the assailants and whether or no they desire to substitute other principles of government for ours, by turning us back upon a course we have solemnly repudiated. 1. Washington's eighth and Madison's Second Message In addition to other works of like character but less ability, there is one, extensively circulated in this country, from the pen of a writer conspicuous for his learning and ability. The author asserts without disguise that what he calls Catholicity, that is, what the Roman popes taught when they were temporal monarchs has been more beneficial to the world and more civilizing in its influences upon mankind than Protestantism, not alone in a social, but in a political, religious, and literary point of view. His argument proceeds from the Jesuit standpoint, and may be summed up in a single sentence, that Protestantism has placed mankind in a far worse condition than they were when dominated over by papal kings. This work was intended to counteract the effect produced by the writings of Gisot, the great French historian, who maintained, by eloquent and matchless reasoning, that mankind had been improved, in every point of view, by the influences of Protestantism. Accordingly, it was translated from Spanish, in which language it was originally written, into French and German, and extensively circulated in France and Germany. It soon acquired the reputation among the Jesuits of being unanswerable, and on that account was regarded, in the conflict between progress and retrogression, like heavy ordnance in battle a suitable weapon with which to attack Protestantism and its institutions in the seat of its greatest strength. There, in Marie it was translated into the English language and printed by two publishing houses in the United States, for circulation among the American people. An American preface is attached, wherein these propositions are affirmed, first, that Protestantism compels its votaries to infidelity, by its variations of belief. Second, that civilization was not only commenced, but was prospering under Catholicity, when it was retarded by Protestantism, which is unfavorable and injurious to it. And, third, that the principles of Protestantism are incompatible with the happiness of mankind and unfavorable to civil liberty. Two Protestantism and Catholicity compared in their effects on the civilization of Europe by the Rev. de Balmes. This preface which manifestly bears the Jesuit impress was intended to notify American readers, beforehand, that the three foregoing propositions are maintained in the body of the work, and to prepare their minds for the acceptance of them its reprint and circulation in the United States could have had no other object than to inculcate the belief that what the people of this country have supposed to be the advantages they have derived from Protestant institutions are, in fact, absolutely injurious to them, and that their condition would be improved by the revival of such as existed during the Middle Ages, before the Reformation. By giving prominence to political matters, and discussing them from the Jesuit point of view, this author presents a plain, distinct, and practical issue between progress and retrogression. He intends to make it as plain to the minds of his readers as it seems to be to his own, that governments constructed upon the monarchical plan confer more happiness and prosperity upon society than those upon the Protestant plan of self-government. Evidently it was with the hope of disseminating this belief that this work has been reprinted and circulated in the United States so extensively that it is believed to have become a standard authority among the Jesuit enemies of Protestantism. If it does nothing else, however, it apprises our Protestant population that a powerful influence exists among them which is uncompromisingly hostile to the principles which underlie the whole structure of their government. And, being thus apprised, their indifference would be little less than criminal, because their adroit aggressors would construe it into fear of possible consequences, or assign it to their inability to combat successfully the arguments supplied by this work, whose author is an acknowledged monarchist. The differences between popular and monarchical governments are well known, and appear at every point of comparison which has arisen during the course of events since the Reformation of the 16th century. The former have achieved their completest triumphs where Protestantism prevails, and in its presence the latter have been compelled either entirely to surrender their pretensions, or to abate their demands for absolutism. Until the Reformation became an accomplished fact, monarchism was maintained by uniting church and state, and employing their joint authority to coerce obedience from the multitude. The demon thus acquired condemned self-government by the people as both heresy and treason, punishable at the pleasure of those who held the reins of authority in their hands. It took many years of conflict to change this condition of affairs. And when the people of the United States were, in the course of events, placed in a condition to choose between this course of system and that which was the natural outgrowth of Protestantism, and to construct a government for themselves, their wisdom was sufficient to assure them that any plan of government they adopted would result in failure unless they distinguished between their politics and their religion by separating the church from the state, and by so framing their civil institutions as to reserve to themselves alone the entire sovereignty over them. If either of these essential prerequisites had been omitted, all exertions to better and improve their condition would have resulted in failure, as all readers of history know. Instead of failure, however, they created a government which has survived the vicissitudes of more than a hundred years, is now supplying protection to more than 60 millions of people, and has reached a most commanding position among the leading nations. If, indeed, its influence over the happiness and prosperity of mankind does not surpass that of any of them, of this we may be assured that the measure of its success has been such as to incite among other peoples the desire to imitate its example and that the conflicts of opinion which now agitate the world give reasonable promise that the popular right of self-government may, in less than another century of time, be universally recognized. To this end the American people are obliged to contribute by warding off every blow aimed at their institutions by either domestic or alien adversaries, especially when these blows are aimed, as some of them are, at the fundamental principles of their government. The influence of our example finds a striking illustration in the revolution in Italy in 1870, which abolished the temple power, or kingship, of the Pope, separated the state from the Church, and established a constitutional form of government in place of the absolute monarchism which had prevailed, almost uninterruptedly, for many centuries. The fires of this revolution had been burning for a long time, kindled originally by oppressions, which had been so magnified that the people could endure them no longer. Their culminating point was the passage of a conciliar decree, called a dogmatic constitution, whereby it was declared that the Pope was infallible, and could not err in matters pertaining to faith or morals. That is, within such spheres of governmental, social, and individual duties and obligations as the Pope alone, for the time being, should decide to be included in the spiritual and pontifical jurisdiction, This act was considered the consummation of the Jesuit plan, at which the Italian people had been so incensed but a short time before, that Pope Pius IX had been compelled to expel the members of that odious society from Rome. The consequence was that the fires which popular indignation had kindled grew hotter, and it became impossible to extinguish them except by assuring complete success to the revolution. Therefore, the ink with which this decree of papal infallibility was written was scarcely dry before the Italian people, with extraordinary unanimity, determined to reject it, not merely because it was the introduction of a new principle of faith hitherto unrecognized, but because they could easily see that it would place them, and their children after them, under Jesuit dominion and dictation. They realized that its acceptance would involve them in the obligation to submit to the absolute temporal rule of the Pope, in whose selection they had no voice and to those whom he should think proper to put over them, whether fit or unfit, and thus put an end to all popular demands for the right of political self-government. It involved no question of religious faith, as the faith had been handed down to them by their fathers. Nothing whatsoever which involved their duty to God, otherwise than as presumptuous men, to answer their own selfish ends, were striving to convert the Pope into a God upon earth, and themselves into his plenipotentiaries. Influenced solely by this conviction, and stimulated by the success the people of the United States had won, they merely abolished the temporal power of the Pope, and created a constitutional form of civil government, which places satisfactory limitations upon
5: the authority of their king, and establishes representatives. Of political institutions, which provide that
2: their voice shall be heard in the enactment of public laws. In this they have taken a long stride in the direction of government of the people, for the people, and by the people. They have cast off political absolutism, which the Jesuits command to us as Catholicity, and have assumed the station and dignity of an independent people. They have converted a priest ridden oligarchy into a nation. On this account, and this alone, They have made themselves the special objects of Jesuit malevolence, for the simple reason that the monarchical society of Jesuits has never, since its beginning, relented in its vindictive opposition to every form of civil government which recognizes the people as the source of political power. By the most fundamental principles of its organization it is forbidden to sympathize with the sentiment of personal independence, or to allow its members to acquire the dignity of manhood necessary for participation in the affairs of government. In the face of the fact that the Italian people have not changed the religious convictions they have maintained for hundreds of years with steadfast fidelity, and in the face also of the successes of Protestantism as universally recognized, the Jesuits employed the extortive decree of papal infallibility as the basis of an argument to prove that the Pope was divinely endowed with such spiritual sovereignty over nations and peoples as entitles him to prescribe, at his own personal will and pleasure, such laws and regulations concerning both faith and morals, as are necessary for the government of society and the conduct of individuals throughout the world, Within the circle of this extraordinary and unlimited jurisdiction, they make no distinction between spirituals and temples, never failing to make the power over the former sufficiently comprehensive to embrace the latter, accordingly as the Pope himself shall decide. Hence they infer that this papal jurisdiction is not subject to any other limitation than such as he shall establish, and that it may, consequently, be rightfully enlarged so as to exact submission from all and set aside all requirements in conflict with it. And the result they reach as logically following this premise is, that the refusal of obedience to the Pope, within this comprehensive jurisdiction, violates the law of God, and is heresy. Therefore, as the Jesuits believe that the separation of
5: church and state by the Italian people is heresy, so they are required also to believe that all civil institutions, Institutions which have grown out of that separation like those of the United States not only have the curse of God resting upon them, but that they are the divinely chosen
2: messengers of heaven to bring them within this enormous circle of papal dominion. In assigning these powers to the Pope alone, they entirely ignore everything associated with the original and primitive organization of the Christian Church and especially the important fact that it was not until the beginning of the 6th century that the Bishop of Rome succeeded in acquiring the distinctive title of Pope. Three before that time they had exercised at Rome only such powers as metropolitan bishops elsewhere, each of them having been called Papa or Pope, when the Roman bishop acquired by usurpation the exclusive title or the Pope the other metropolitan bishops were reduced to a condition of inferiority and subordination, and he then required only the temporal power to assure to him the power and jurisdiction the Jesuits now claim for him. It took several hundred years of conflict within the churches and with the civil powers to accomplish this, and was only accomplished at last by subduing impotent kings, and so uniting the power of the church with that of the as to hold ignorant populations in subjugation. And now that the Italians, After submitting to this
5: humiliation for more than a thousand years, and finding all the sources of their prosperity withered up, have abolished and destroyed this illicit and usurped temporal power,
2: and taken into their own hands the administration of their own temporal affairs obeying the example set them by the people of the United States, the Jesuits employ all their energies to reverse this popular verdict. And plunge them again into the dreary chasm from which they have escaped. The Jesuits are subtle disputes. When they talk about the papacy reconciling itself to a form of government, they reserve to themselves the meaning that does not interfere either in monarchies or republics with such local and limited affairs as pertain to the common and ordinary interests of society in the management of counties, townships, cities, and municipalities. They may be conducted without complaint under one form of government as well as another, and are held to be such temporal affairs as the Pope may exclude from his spiritual jurisdiction without any violation of the divine law. But when measures of public policy pass beyond these local and limited spheres, and involve matters which the Pope shall decide to have relation to the Church, to the papacy, to faith, or to morals, his jurisdiction attaches, and, according to the Jesuits, he possesses the divine right to regulate and direct them, So that, when civil institutions are constructed no matter in what form by which church and state are separated and the freedom of religious belief is guaranteed, as they are by the Constitution of the United States, they are brought within this unlimited jurisdiction of the Pope, and he may pass such sentence of condemnation upon them as he shall deem necessary to maintain his own infallibility, as well as his spiritual and temporal power. If, in the execution of this extraordinary spiritual power, The Pope and the Jesuit General at Rome shall unite in a decree that all such institutions shall be opposed, resisted, and overthrown. The Jesuit militia are always ready to pay obedience, because it is one of the fundamental maxims of their society, that when thus commanded, with reference to anything concerning the Church, the Papacy, Faith, or Morals, disobedience is visited with divine displeasure. 3. Universal Church History By Alvig Vol. I. Pages 674. This recognized papal authority, in order to he as nearly exact as possible, fixes it in the year 510. Before he entered Rome with his victorious troops, and with the hope of pacifying the Pope, Victor Emmanuel, the liberator of the Italian people, addressed an affectionate letter to Pope Pius IX, calling him the chief of Catholicity and expressing the hope and intention that nothing should be done inconsistent with the inviolability of the sovereign pontiff and of his spiritual authority, and with the independence of the Holy See. But this kindly spirit was not reciprocated by the irascible Pope, who excitedly rejected the overture of pacification. Thereupon the victorious troops entered the city of Rome, and terminated the temple dominion of the Pope, which had rested upon the Italian people with crushing weight for nearly 1400 years. Then the Pope, having lost his royal diadem nothing more and with the view of prescribing it as an article of faith that it should be recovered again, caused his cardinal secretary of state to notify Victor Emmanuel to that effect. Thus he did as follows. I have the command from his holiness to declare, and the undersigned does hereby declare in the august name of his holiness, that such usurpation is devoid of all effect, is null and invalid. And that it can never convey any prejudice to the indisputable and lawful rights of in and of possession, whether of the Holy Father himself, or of his successors in perpetuity. And, although the exercise of these rights may be forcibly prevented and hindered, yet His Holiness both knows his rights, intends to conserve them intact, and re enter at the proper time into their actual possession. These are expressive words, and every Jesuit interprets them to mean that, Having the direct approval of an infallible Pope, they impose the religious obligation of obedience upon all the members of their society, and that it will be offensive to God if they shall cease their struggle for the restoration of the temple power before it is accomplished. Therefore they so enlarge the spiritual jurisdiction and authority of the Pope as to make the question of the restoration of his temple power an international one so that he shall have the divine right to require all professing Christians to obey him in all matters relating to that question, no matter under what government, or in what part of the world they may live. The refusal of this obedience is held by them to be heresy. Consequently, when the Roman Catholic people of Italy abolished the temporal power of the Pope, remaining in all other respects faithful to the historic and traditional teachings of the Church, the Jesuits made an organized appeal to all the Roman Catholics throughout the world, to unite themselves into a politico-religious party, in order to restore the temporal power, and thereby to teach their Christian brethren in Italy that they have no right to govern themselves by laws of their own making, and that by irreligiously asserting that right, in imitation of the heretical people of the United States, they have themselves become heretics, in point of fact. The Jesuit appeal is made to populations entirely foreign to the people of Italy, inviting these foreign populations to subvert the civil institutions the latter have established for themselves, by forcibly substituting the Pope as an arbitrary and irresponsible monarch, without any constitutional check for a constitutional king whose powers have been placed under satisfactory restraint. The Pope himself, when he realized that he was about to lose his crown, talked about the 200 millions of Roman Catholics scattered throughout the world, who were to be excited to this conflict with the Italian people. And the Jesuits consider themselves specially assigned to the duty of massing the forces of this great people army, and directing its movements. In that capacity, and with that secret purpose, they have distributed themselves throughout the populous parts of the United States, crowding into our cities." and employing their tireless energies in the work of educating a considerable portion of our people, both old and young, in the religious belief that it is their Christian duty to snatch the crown from the head of the constitutional king of Italy, where those of their own religious faith have placed it, and restore it to the Pope, from whose head they removed it by employing the same sovereign power which the people of the United States invoked when they laid the foundations of their own institutions. It is a serious thing, Too serious to be disregarded, to know that, under protection of the liberalism of our laws, there are scattered among our people those who are striving to entangle us in alliances which can have no other end than to disturb the quiet of the nation and endanger the public welfare. The sacrifices made by the American people in behalf of the right of self-government entitle them to be left to themselves in the undisturbed enjoyment of that right. They have shown themselves wise enough to understand the causes which
5: led to the decay of former nations. and Okay, they knocked me off
1: again. Let's see what happens here. Again, this is footprints of the Jesuits up to
2: among these causes, the union of church and state has always been conspicuously prominent. Wherefore they found it necessary to put an end to this union, by leaving the church independent in the spiritual, and the state equally so in the temporal sphere. This separation constitutes a great and important political fact, wholly distinct from any of the forms or principles of religious belief, and practically embodies the American idea perpetuated in Protestantism that the right to perfect and untrammeled freedom of conscience is not derived by concession from either spiritual or temporal monarchs, but from the inalienable laws of nature. In view of the past experience of mankind, it seemed clear to them that the best form of government is that which guarantees this natural right to each individual to be enjoyed as a political right, without any restraint whatsoever. In no other way could pre-popular government ever become possible. They believed also that mankind had been held long enough in inferiority and bondage by the combined influence of church and state despotism and that inasmuch as they had been providentially placed in possession of a new and undeveloped continent, it was not only wise but best for them and their posterity that, in establishing their government, they should make the further union of church and state impossible, unless some alien power should be strong enough to overthrow their institutions, or they should fall into decay by means of the corruptions engendered by this fatal union, as other governments had fallen. It was an experiment hitherto unsuccessful, and was consequently observed by multitudes throughout the world with intense solicitude. If there were any who considered the experiment injudicious and likely to prove a failure, but little time elapsed before their doubts were dissipated by the results accomplished results which all who are rightfully entitled to American citizenship now accept as a precious inheritance from the founders of the republic, our institutions are no longer an experiment. They have become actual and accomplished reality and it is not now the time for us to think of turning back to the bondage of monarchism, as we should indicate the desire to do by denying to the people of Italy the right to imitate our example by separating church and state, and governing themselves by laws of their own making. They who invite us to this are counselors of evil. That the Jesuits are not content with the separation of church and state is a fact too palpable for contradiction. Hence the readiness with which they engage in the organization in this country of a politico-religious party pledged to restore the Pope's temporal power, notwithstanding such a party is condemned by the spirit of our institutions, and is regarded by the general public as impolitic, inexpedient, and hazardous. In an as they have chosen to thrust this issue upon us, we are not permitted to become indifferent to it, or shrink from our responsibility of citizenship under a government entitled to our patriotic allegiance. Such an issue cannot be evaded, and must be met with fearlessness and becoming kinder. If one is informed that a poisonous viper is coiled up under a pillow upon which he is about to lay his head, he will instinctively strive after the means necessary to escape its fangs. So, when apprised that cunning and adroit adversaries, like the Jesuits, are plotting against cherished and vital principles of our institutions, the obligation to make ourselves familiar with their principles, policy, and history becomes imperative being forewarned, we shall have no excuse for not being forearmed. We must do nothing, either now or hereafter, forbidden by our national character, or by the liberalism we prize so highly. Our Constitution amply protects the rights of free speech, free thought, and a free press, all of which must be held inviolable, But violence is manifestly done to the spirit of patriotism which guarantees this protection when it is demanded of any portion of our population that they shall participate in the work of undoing, in any degree whatsoever, what the founders of the government considered fundamental. We are prohibited from submitting to anything that shall tend, even by possibility, to subject the people to any sovereignty, either spiritual or temporal, higher than themselves, in such matters as involve their own happiness and welfare it would be well, consequently, for those who are seeking to accomplish this, to learn that the world is large enough for them and us. That there are other fields wherein better grounds of hope are furnished for rewelding the fragments of shattered monarchies. And that, when they avail themselves of the tolerance of our institutions to assail their foundations, they become intruders into a peaceful and harmonious circle, where, but for them, universal peace and quiet would prevail, In his conflict with the Italian people for the repossession of the temple power, by overthrowing the constitutional government they have established, the Pope could not find another ally so formidable as the Jesuits, nor one with such implacable hatred of liberalism and popular government. Their society is so united and compact that its ranks cannot be broken. They are everywhere the same, moved by a common impulse, under the dictation of their general in Rome, They are the deadly enemies of civil and religious liberty. Nothing that stands in their way can become so sacred as to escape their vengeance. Protestantism has borne no fruits to which they have ever been reconciled. They consider the Reformation which gave birth to it to have been criminal resistance to the only rightful authority upon earth that which proceeds from church and state combined. They believe that the condition of mankind during the Middle Ages staggering under the weight of feudal oppression, was preferable to modern progress and enlightenment, that human happiness would be promoted by the return to that period, that the political right of self-government by the people cannot be set up against the higher right of papal and the monarchical power, that the progress of the advancing nations is delusive and unsubstantial, and that institutions which guarantee civil and religious freedom, if not are arrested by some coercive power strong enough to put an end to them, will lead, through heresy, to social ruin and desolation. If, at the period of the Reformation, the society had not been established for the express purpose of counteracting its influence, a knowledge of the difference between primitive Christianity and the prevailing dogmas might have led to such reforms as would have reconciled Christians to dwell together in peace and concord. But when a dove should have been sent forth bearing the olive branch of Christian charity, The society sprang from the brain of a disappointed military adventurer, and began at once to scatter the seeds of strife and discord. Almost from the beginning it has been a disturber of the peace of nations, suffering only such as have bestowed patronage upon it to escape its maledictions and its plottings. The members of this society are numerous and powerful in the United States. They are constantly increasing, mainly by accessions from their drilled and disciplined companions in Europe but also by conversions of unsuspecting young men, who are seduced by their vain and supercilious pretensions as educators. They are, as they have always been, selfish and vindictive, restless under opposition, and compromising in nothing. They have neither country, nor homes, nor families, nor friendships beyond the limits of their order, none of the affections of the heart which give charm to life and social intercourse being required to abandon all these and fit themselves for an inquiring obedience to their general, whose commands, whether right or wrong, good or bad, they have solemnly vowed to execute, without the least regard for consequences. Having persistently refused to become reconciled to the forms and methods of Christian civilization which prevail among our Protestant population, They employ all the resources they can command in endeavoring to arrest them. They insist that church and state shall be united wheresoever they are separate, and that the basis of such union shall be the subordination of the state to the church. Self-government by the people is held by them to be violative of the divine law, and on that account may rightfully be resisted as heretical when its overthrow can be assured. They will allow no rights to exist in either states, peoples, or individuals, against what they consider the prerogatives of their society as defined by their general, who, in their estimation, possesses the divine right to enlarge or contract them at his own pleasure. There must be no limitation to the power and independence of the Pope, either in the spiritual or temporal domain, except where the interests of their society command otherwise. They must be full, absolute, unquestioned, to the extent defined by himself. His liberty must be such
5: that he may at his own discretion, curtail the liberties of all others. His spiritual sovereignty must include whatsoever he shall embrace within it.
2: Neither the existence nor the extent of this sovereignty must be brought in question before any human tribunal. But he alone shall define it, together with the character of the obedience he shall exact. And if, in the course of the papal economy, he should ever find it necessary to hold in one hand emblems of harmony and peace, this restless and uncompromising society stands always ready to place the rod of chastisement in the other. The conflict of opinions, therefore, in which the Protestant people of the United States find themselves engaged is not of their own inviting. They are unwilling parties to it. It had its origin in the spirit of aggression which prevails among those who have stronger sympathy for an alien power than for the right of self-government, and, on account of their peculiar fitness for the work, it will engage every Jesuit tongue and pen in the land. Because of this, a sense of both duty and security demands that the history and character of this skilled and powerful adversary alien in birth, growth, and sentiments, should be understood as also the causes which have led to the expulsion of the Jesuits from every country in Europe, the public odium which has rested upon them for many years, their long-continued disturbance of the peace of nations, and the final suppression and abolition of their society by one of the best and most enlightened of the Popes. In view of the obligation to preserve our civil institutions as they are, not only for ourselves and our children, but for the multitudes who shall seek shelter under them, We have no right to become either indifferent or inactive in the presence of such assailants who complacently fling defiance in our faces and seek to impregnate the free and pure atmosphere of our schools and seminaries of learning with the poison of monarchism. Against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, said Washington, the jealousy of a free people ought ever to be constantly awake, since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most painful foes of Republican government. Chapter 2. Ignatius Loyola, Founder of the Order It is of little consequence to the general reader what place in history is assigned to Ignatius Loyola, apart from the fact that he was the founder and originator of the Society of Jesuits, and lived long enough to stamp upon it the impress of his own personality. He availed himself of that organization to maintain among its members the vain and impious assumption of his equality with God, And in their way obtained such complete mastery over them that, in explanation and justification of their slavish obedience, they represent him as having possessed miraculous powers. They assigned to him the performance of more miracles than Christ, and do not hesitate to record that he not only restored the dead to life, but, in one conspicuous case, gave life to a child born dead. The silly stories of this character told of him in apparent seriousness can have no other effect than to impose upon and encourage ignorant and superstitious people, and are undoubtedly repeated by his Jesuit biographers for this purpose. They seem never to have realized that the world has grown wiser, and that the period has passed when fictions and myths can be proclaimed as realities. The Life of Loyola was written, soon after his death, by Mira, one of his Jesuit followers, who had known him intimately. Of course, under such circumstances, His statement of personal characteristics was presumably reliable. What he stated in the first edition was professedly based upon his own knowledge and what he had learned from Loyola's intimate friends and inseparable companions. And with these facts before him and fully considered, he declared that his sanctity was not justified by miracles. Some years after, however, it was deemed expedient that this concession should be withdrawn entirely, and another more favorable to the Jesuits be substituted for it. Accordingly, in another edition of the same work, it is stated that Loyola's performance of miracles was confirmed by the most authentic proofs and careful examination. One, these statements are in direct conflict, and cannot both be true. The first bears the impress of veracity because it is consistent with human experience, while the latter shows the tracings of Jesuit fingers too clearly to mislead any thoughtful and intelligent mind, It is singularly strange that, in the present reading and enlightened age, these pretended miracles are cited by Jesuits to prove that divine power and authority were conferred upon Loyola, because God chose him to accomplish special objects in his name. When the very things which, as they allege, he was providentially appointed to defeat, have transpired in spite of him, his successors, and all their followers, the suppression of the Reformation and the extirpation of Protestantism its legitimate fruit were the avowed purposes of himself and his society, because, according to them, the curse of God rested upon these as the excess of unpardonable heresy. For the accomplishments of these objects he converted the members of his society into a compact body of militia, and placed in their hands weapons chosen by himself, instructing them that they were specially selected as the executioners of the divine vengeance, Yet the Reformation progressed until it marked out new paths of advancement for the nations. And Protestantism has extended its beneficent influences until it is today the controlling power in human affairs, and has even taken possession of places where the papacy once ruled with sovereign and unchallenged authority. And the great work thus begun, in the face of Jesuit maledictions and curses, has not yet ended. For Protestantism still continues to build up new nations, elevate and improve peoples, and make mankind freer, happier, and more prosperous. Whilst there has not been a time since the Jesuits existed as a society when they have not been odious in all parts of the world, and have not been regarded as the plotters of mischief and disturbers of the public peace, how can a thoughtful mind account for these results by any known process of human reasoning? if it were true that Loyola had divine power conferred upon him expressly for the purpose of exterminating Protestantism as heresy. And how, if the society of Jesuits has been providentially endowed with faculties to consummate its ends, could it have happened that one of the wisest and best of the popes for whom infallibility is now claimed was constrained to condemn it by positive suppression, and to declare, under the solemn responsibilities of his sacred office, that it was not worthy of longer existence. But leaving these questions unanswered for the present, it is sufficient to say here that no qualities possessed by Loyola, whatsoever they were, can oblige the present age to recognize his society as entitled to any such prerogatives and immunities as exempted from having its real worth tested by the rules universally accepted as applicable to human conduct and affairs. It must now be tried by these rules. And if it shall be found that its conduct has been marked by wrong and injustice, its boastful claim of superiority will appear to every investigator as merely vain and presumptuous. One crit in Ph. Dictionary. By Bale. Article Loyola, Vol. Ill. Pages 889. Note. That Loyola was shrewd and sagacious, and laid his plans with a full and intelligent comprehension of the ends he had in view, ought not to be denied. When engaged in framing the constitution of the Jesuits, he was familiar with the troubles existing in the Church, and with the prevailing public sentiment with reference to their causes. That is, the unfitness for the proper discharge of spiritual functions of those charged with their exercise. The Jesuits themselves assert this, in explanation of the necessity for the establishment of theirs as a new society, declaring that the numerous orders then existing such as the Benedictines, Dominicans, Franciscans, Minorites, and others were incompetent to arrest the decline of the Church, on account of their own need of reform. This point in their history should invite the closest attention and scrutiny, because it shows, in a conspicuous degree, the basis of their assumed superiority over all other societies and orders which, in the course of time, have had the sanction of the Church. And this scrutiny is desirable, moreover, as it will be seen that the pictures of demoralization prevailing among the clergy, as they were drawn by the reformers in their most vivid coloring, had their accuracy vouched for by Loyola himself to justify the establishment of a society of Jesuits, not merely because it would constitute a distinct, independent, and superior organization, but would bring back all dissenters to which he made its main and fundamental, would or upon whom the society relies to make known that part of its history considered favorable endeavors to maintain the proposition that it was absolutely obligatory for Loyola to have been entrusted with the duty of reforming the morals of the people of Rome, immediately within the shadow of the Vatican. He represents the task as most difficult and important, as at that time the people were much demoralized, and indulged in the most frightful excesses. notwithstanding the papal government, with plenary and absolute powers, had existed there during all the period of the Middle Ages nearly a thousand years. Not content alone with asserting that the people were demoralized, this same author affirms, in addition, that Loyola sought to reform the monastic orders, and reanimate the priesthood with a holy fervor, to thus alleging that the monastic orders and the priesthood were demoralized like the people, and needed that a new guardian of their morals, other and better than any the church had ever furnished, should be empowered to regulate their conduct. In further explanation of the reasons why Loyola desired to establish the Society of Jesuits, he represents him as having addressed directly to the Pope, Paul III, this argument, it appears that the Society is absolutely necessary for the eradication of those abuses with which the Church is afflicted. 3. And at another place, referring to the condition of the Church in Germany, he says it was mainly attributable to the ignorance of the people, and, more dangerous still, to the shortcomings of the priesthood, abandoned to the gratification of their own passions. In the entire city of worms there was but one priest worthy of respect. Neither Luther nor the reformers could have employed afterwards to justify themselves. Nor can those of the present time, who comment upon the vices which then prevailed among the clergy, express themselves in stronger language. The well-established historical fact is, that the same condition of things existed throughout the leading nations of Europe, beginning at Rome and reaching out in every direction, having the papacy as its common center. When the Jesuits, therefore, bestow their curses upon Luther and other reformers for having proclaimed the necessity for reform in the church because of the demoralization of the clergy, they showed their memories to be short in forgetting that their society was justified by its founder upon the plea of the same necessity. Two History of the Society of Jesus, by Darygnak, vol. I, pages 14. This work was translated by Clements, and published in Cincinnati by Walsh, in 1865. Loyola was fully advised, also, of the progress made by the Reformation, and doubtless persuaded himself to believe that the necessity for reform would be made available by others of less ambition than himself, who would be likely to seek for it elsewhere than through the papacy, under whose auspices so many evils had grown up, unless he could check the progress of the Reformation by the creation of some new and opposing influences which he could himself control. There were no fundamental points of Christian doctrine involved. And, if there had been, the whole life of Loyola proves that he would have regarded them of inferior importance, compared with his main purpose of preventing the enlightenment of society by free religious thought, and holding it in obedience to authority superior to itself. The friendly author already quoted declares his object to have been to reestablish those principles of submission and discipline which alone can ensure obedience to legitimate authority. Five, that is, to the combined authority of church and state, as no other was at that time considered legitimate by him, or has ever been by his society since then. Three History of the Society of Jesus. By Dorignac. Vole. I. Pages 22. Ebed. P. 40. The acute and penetrating intellect of Loyola enabled him to foresee that, unless some new method of counteracting the effects of the Reformation should be discovered, the disintegration of the Church, already begun, could not be arrested. The difficulties surrounding this problem were increased by the fact that the papacy had been unable to put a stop to its own decline, and accordingly he taxed his inventive faculties not to reform doctrine, for that was not needed beyond the points interpolated upon the primitive faith by the ambitious popes, but to prevent the decay of papal and ecclesiastical power. Undoubtedly, it was his purpose that whatsoever plan he might adopt should supersede the old methods to which the Church had been long accustomed, and which had the sanction of numerous popes and many centuries of time. He intended to enter upon an experiment the chief recommendation of which was, that it required new paths to be marked out in preference to those which had acquired the approval of antiquity. But he was careful to see, at every step he took, that whatsoever was done should endure to his own credit in the accomplishment of such ends as were suggested by the burning ardor and ambition of a soldier. In other words, that if good results ensued, they should be attributed to himself, and neither to the Pope, nor to the Church, nor to the ancient monastic orders. Assuming, as he manifestly did, that all these combined had failed to check the advancing corruptions of the clergy, which had grown up under their protracted auspices, his inventive and ambitious mind was animated by the hope of bringing the world to realize that he alone could give to the organized authority of church and state the vigor and efficiency necessary to keep society in obedience. Having a mind thoroughly indoctrinated with the principle of absolute monarchism, he did not regard it as possible or desirable to accomplish this in any other mode than by making that essential central and controlling feature of whatsoever plan should be adopted. Accordingly, in the constitution of the Society of Jesuits, which was the product of his reflections, he provided for consolidating in his own hands, as superior or general, such absolute authority as would subject all its members to his individual will, so as to hold them, at all times and under all possible circumstances, in perfect and uninquiring obedience, surrendering their right to think as completely as if they had never possessed it. By this method he designed to annihilate all personal independence, so that freedom of thought should not, by any possibility, exist in the society. He meant to convert all who were brought within the circle of his influence, from thoughtful and reflecting men into mere human automatons, and so to mold and fashion them that each one should be reduced to a universal and common level of humiliating submission and obedience. Thus he hoped to arrest the further development of popular intelligence, so that those who had been lifted out of the old grooves of despotism might be plunged into them again, and such as had not should be held there in ignorance and superstition. This he supposed would defeat the Reformation, in which event he and his society, as the originator and executors of the plan, would enjoy the glory of the achievement. If he had ever exhibited any evidences of great sanctity of life, this presumption of selfish ambition might have been rebutted. But he was known only as an aspiring soldier, whose early life had been characterized by such follies and irregularities as prevailed about the courts of royalty at that time. He had done nothing to raise him above the character of an adventurer. 6 History of the Society of Jesus By Dorignick Volk I, pages 40. There was nothing in the original Jesuit constitution necessary to Christian faith or to the established doctrines of the Roman Church. It provided for the organization of a select body of men, united together professedly to maintain what Loyola chose to call the greater glory of God ad maturum de glorium by such undefined methods as might be, from time to time, made known to them by the general. And without fixing any limitation or restraint upon either his discretion or authority, there was no pretense of adding to or taking from the settled doctrines or dogmas of the Church. For that could have been done only by the Pope, or by a general council, or by the two powers acting conjointly in unity. It would have been a direct censure of the Church to have assumed the necessity of this or to have solicited authority to undertake it equivalent to saying that it had failed to provide the necessary means of maintaining the true faith after many centuries of unlimited power. It was the duty of Loyola, as a faithful son of the Church, no less than it was the duty of those who were less pretentious, to have regarded its faith and doctrines as already perfect. To have done otherwise would have given aid and comfort to Luther and the Reformation. Hence his pretense of the necessity for the organization of a new society or order, with special methods of its own hitherto unknown, clearly indicated a desire to act apart from and independently of the existing methods and authorities of the Church. No matter, however, what pretenses were made by Loyola, or what his secretly cherished designs were, There is not the least ground for doubt that his method of establishing and organizing a new society had no relations whatsoever to the principles of Christian faith. In other words, that the existing methods were competent for all practicable and necessary purposes without it. It was, consequently, temple merely. That is, it had reference exclusively to the management of men, so as to reduce them to an acquiring obedience to such authority as was set over them. There was nothing besides this which the church and the ancient monastic orders did not already possess the power to accomplish. The exercises he prescribed were, it is true, spiritual in character such as penance and mortification of the flesh, but the church had already provided these, and they were rigidly observed by the monastic orders. The pledge to employ them, made by the members of the Jesuit society so as to promote their own spiritual welfare, was merely incidental to the duty they already owed to the Church. Consequently, while these exercises conformed to the existing obligations imposed by the Church, the new society projected by Loyola was intended to furnish the machinery necessary for exacting obedience for training and disciplining all who could be influenced by it for that single purpose. And in order to accomplish effectually this obedience to himself and his new society, leaving out entirely both the Church and the Pope, He originally designed that the members of the society should be responsible alone to their general, from whom all the laws and regulations for their government should emanate. The Pope, as the head of the Church, had not the least authority over these members conferred upon him by the original Constitution. Nor was it intended that they should obey any other authority than that of their general, because he, and he alone, was recognized as the sole representative of God upon earth. There was nothing spiritual in all this in the sense in which the church had defined spiritual things in the christian world understood them but it made the society as loyola planned it temporarily a mere police corps drilled and disciplined to obedience alone without the right either to inquire or decide whether the commands of their superior were right or wrong it should surprise no intelligent man therefore and learning the fact that the Pope hesitated about giving the society his approval, when Loyola first requested his pontifical ratification of its constitution. That Loyola's original intention was that his new society should exact from its members a pledge of fidelity alone to himself and those who should succeed him in its government, and not to the Church or to the Pope, is plainly to be seen in the fact that when he found a few sympathizing friends to unite with him. He did not submit the plan of organization to the Pope for approval, so as to make it a religious order like the Dominican, Franciscan, and other ancient orders, but sought only from him permission for himself and friends to go as missionaries to the Holy Land, to labor for the conversion of the infidel Turks to Christianity. That he then contemplated acting, insofar as the movements and operations of his society were concerned, independently of the Church and the Pope is evidenced by the most undoubted authority. The author of The Lies of the Saints, a work which has the highest endorsement, says, in 1534, on the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady, Saint Ignatius and his six companions, of whom Francis Xavier Savior was one, made a vow at Montmartre to visit the Holy Land, and unite their labors for the conversion of the infidels. Or, if this should be found not practicable, to cast themselves at the feet of the Pope, and offer their services wherever he thought fit to employ them. It will be seen, therefore, that it was entirely conditional whether or no Loyola would make known to the Pope his new society and the plan of its organization, and ask his pontifical approval. He had already formed the primary O-Ionization, and obtained from Xavier and his five other associates the necessary vow of obedience, by which they had placed themselves entirely under his dominion and control if it should prove practicable for him to plant his new and independent society in the Holy Land, which presented a large and tempting field of operations, it was undoubtedly his secretly cherished purpose to do so, without making his constitution known to the Pope, and thus to establish in Asia an organization independent of the Pope, and submissive only to himself. But if found to be not practicable, then, and only then, he and his companions would cast themselves at the feet of the Pope, and offered their services to him and to the church. His military ambition, not yet extinguished, was manifestly kindled afresh by the hope that a whole continent would be open before him, where he would find the oriental methods of obedience strictly consistent with those he desired to introduce, and where he could create, unmolested, such influences as, being introduced into Europe, might counteract those already produced by the Reformation. But not until he found that he was balked in this, Did he intend to devote himself and his companions to the immediate work of attempting to arrest the progress of the Reformation in Europe, where the existing methods of resisting it were not under his control? It was worthy of the founder of the Jesuits to solicit the Pope's approval of this great missionary scheme, and to conceal from him, at the same time, his secret purpose to act in the name of a new society, adverse to the ancient monastic orders and submissive to himself alone. That this concealment was studied and premeditated there can be no reasonable doubt. And as it was the first step taken by Loyola in the execution of his plan, he thereby practiced such duplicity and deceit toward the Church and the Pope, that these qualities may well be considered as fundamental in the society of Jesuits. And there is ample proof in the strange and eventful history of this society that it has been, from that time till the present, consistently faithful to this example of its founder. Six Lives of the Saints By the calf, Alban Butler, vol. XII, Article St. Francis Xavier, December 3rd, pages 603. His first successes were, doubtless, flattering to the pride, as well as encouraging to the hopes, of Loyola. Having succeeded in obtaining the consent of the Pope that he and his companions should become missionaries to the Holy Land, without having revealed the existence or character of his society, they were all ordained as priests for that purpose as none of them had been previously admitted to the priesthood. Thus equipped, they took their departure for Palestine, with the plan and principles of their organization locked up in their own minds, and the ultimate design of their ambitious leader known, probably, to himself alone. They must have commenced their journey with joyful hearts and rapturous hopes, which soon, however, became chilled by what Loyola must have considered a sad misfortune, probably the first he had encountered since he had received the wound at the Battle of Papaluna, which disfigured his person so that he could share no longer in the gay festivities of the royal court. They were prevented from reaching Palestine by the war then in progress between the Emperor Charles V. and the Turks, and, after an absence of about a year, were compelled to return to Europe disheartened, as may well be supposed, by the failure. This put a new aspect upon the fortunes of Loyola. His first advance towards independence and the acquisition of power had accomplished nothing favorable to his ambition, and, consequently, it became necessary for him to discover some more promising field of operations, where no such mishap as he had encountered would be likely to occur again. There was abundant room in Europe for missionary labor. But he was now, for the first time, confronted by the fact that his society could not engage in this work. In the presence of numerous religious orders already in existence, without obtaining for it the express approval of the pope, so that, by this means, it might be also stamped with a religious character, in far as that approval would confer it. He, manifestly, had not calculated upon a crisis which would make it necessary to submit the provisions of his constitution to the pope, or to make them known to any others besides those who were to become members of his society, and were willing to yield up their manhood so completely as to vow an acquiring obedience and submission to him and his successors as the only representatives and vice-regents of God upon earth. It cannot be supposed that a man of so much sagacity as he undoubtedly possessed would not have foreseen the difficulty in obtaining the approval of the Pope to a constitution which humiliated him by assigning higher authority to the general of a new society than the Church had confided to him. But he had gone too far to retreat and had too much courage to attempt it. For his courage was never doubted, either upon the battlefield or elsewhere. And when he found it absolutely necessary to visit Rome in order to obtain the Pope's sanction, he did so, accompanied by Lefebvre and two of his companions, the foot...
1: Okay, that was part one of the book Footprints of the Jesuits. And I'm going to deviate here a little bit and see if this is a good uh, risk or not here. I don't know. It's a video called uh,
6: Illuminati
5: Equals, Jesuits, Johnson, Black Mobility, Murdered, Sixth American Presidents. Yes. <clears throat> Just for a break.
1: Maybe we'll go back. Uh, it's A lot of parts to this book, so but it's definitely worth the and to. So let's check this out and see if this is even worth the effort.
8: This might be... Oh, I think this is what this is. This is telling this. I think this could be a waste
7: of time.
3: ...revealed
8: in upcoming episodes of this program.
1: So I'm just listening to right now. of
8: a recently unearthed repository classified by the secret government. Okay, I'm not going to listen
1: to that. I I, this is where that one, that's some television series.
7: <clears throat>
1: so, yes, what we'll do is just listen to another part of that. Uh,
4: I know it's dry,
1: but it's pretty powerful anyways, and uh, if you listen to the details...
4: Keep
2: hey, busy, do some wireless of the Jesuits. So we'll go to part two. Before their departure, however, from Vicenza in Austria and Italy, where they were assembled, Loyola deemed it important to announce to his followers, probably for the first time, the name he had decided to give his society. He thus instructed them, to those who ask what we are, we will reply, we are the soldiers of the Holy Church and we form the Society of Jesus. 7. This was evidently suggested by the necessities which then confronted him. He had not found it expedient to adopt such a designation, or to announce that they were soldiers of the Holy Church, until their attempt to obtain an independent position in Palestine had failed. Therefore, these avowals, made before going to Rome, are justly to be considered as mere expedients suggested by the necessity of obtaining the Pope's approval. The existing religious orders had taken their names from their founders. But Loyola's profane use of the sacred name of the Son of God clearly indicated that he intended to set up for his society a claim for holding a superior to all others. Or it was assumed as a cover for practices contemplated by him that would not bear inspection in the light. That it was intended as a reflection upon the ancient monastic orders then existing and to express superiority over them cannot be doubted. In any view, to say the least, it was impudent and presumptuous, and was generally offensive to the Christian world. At the time of Loyola's visit to Rome, Paul III was Pope. When his approval of the new society was solicited, he deemed it indispensable, as a measure of precaution, that the question should be investigated with the greatest care. For until then no opportunity had been afforded him of knowing the ultimate purposes of Loyola, or the machinery he had constructed for executing them. Whether the Pope suspected him of concealment or not, it is impossible now to tell. But that he had reason to do so was evident from the most favorable accounts given of the original official interview between them. Then it was that the Pope was apprised, for the first time, that the Constitution under which the Society of Jesuits had been organized, required a solemn vow, by which all the members were pledged to implicit and unquestioning obedience to their superior, eight without the possibility of equivocation or mental reservation. That is, to Loyola himself as the first general, and to his successors from time to time thereafter. It required but little deliberation upon the part of the Pope to realize that neither the Church nor the Papacy could derive any advantage from this, but rather injury for the reason that it would create a society under the protection of both, and, at the same time, absolutely independent of both. He therefore hesitated, evidently supposing that his approval under those circumstances would drag him into deep waters from which it would not be easy to escape, and referred the question to a committee of cardinals for a thorough and scrutinizing investigation, so that his final action should be based upon full information. Loyola was too sagacious not to have anticipated this difficulty. But he manifestly hoped to escape it in some way, either by evading or bridging it over, or he would not have asked the Pope to approve the original constitution which contained it. He certainly did not desire or contemplate any change in his original constitution or plan. And therefore, when Paul III hesitated and appointed a committee of cardinals to scrutinize them, he must have felt a degree of perplexity to which his proud and ambitious military spirit had not been hitherto accustomed to submit unresistingly. He could not avoid seeing, however, that if the Pope's final decision should be adverse to him, it would necessarily be the death of his society, upon which he had, with inordinate ambition, fixed his hopes. The occasion constituted the most serious crisis in his personal fortunes he had ever encountered, Success promised him a long list of triumphs. Defeat, nothing but obscurity. He had no such intellectual resources as fitted him for a re-encounter with those who had, not having attended school until after he had reached the years of manhood, and not having then shown any special aptness for learning. Whatsoever capacity he possessed, tended in the direction of governing men, his faculty for which was developed during his service in the army and he must therefore have experienced the consciousness that if he failed to obtain the sanction of the Pope, his career would be seriously, if not entirely, checked. The future of the papacy depended upon the successful training of men to obedience. And Loyola, understanding this, could have had no difficulty in persuading the Pope that a society like his, contrived especially to suspend the power of human reasoning and reduce its members to mere unthinking machines, would more assuredly produce that result than had been done by the very worst forms of absolute despotism which had, for so many centuries, held the Oriental world in subjugation. 7. Dorygnic. Vole. I. Pages 11 to 12. 8. History of the Jesuits. By Nicolini. Page 27. But Loyola's embarrassment did not amount to discomfiture. He may never have held personal intercourse with Paul III before. But he understood the pachy, its wants and necessities, and had ample opportunity to study the character and penetrate the motives of the Pope. For this he was specially fitted few men have lived who excelled him in this respect and, having constructed his society upon the theory that men were of no value unless persuaded to surrender up their personality to superiors. The occasion served him to address such arguments to the Pope as would convince him that the obedience to authority he had introduced in his society was just what the existing exigencies of the papacy required to save it from overthrow. It may easily be seen now, although the Pope may not have then employed penetration enough to discover it, that he did not intend to deal unequivocally and in entire frankness with the Pope, so long as there remained a prospect of obtaining his end otherwise he evidently had an accurate conception of what is meant by the terms confession and avoidance, in the sense of seeming to consent while not consenting. Thus, in order to remove the objection of the Pope and secure his approval, he suggested another and new obligation to be inserted in the constitution of his society, providing that the members should also take a vow of obedience to the Holy See and to the Pope pro tempore, with the express obligation of going, without remuneration, to whatsoever part of the world it shall please the Pope to send them. Nine, these words must be read critically in order that their meaning as intended by Loyola, and always since interpreted by the Jesuits, may not be misconceived. Their true import is, that whilst the members of the society were to pay obedience to the Pope as well as to the general, it was qualified as to the former, and absolute as to the latter. That is, that as they were nominally to have two heads, The authority of both should, for all practical purposes, center in one. In point of fact, as amply demonstrated by subsequent experience, this new provision did not change the nature or limit the extent of the obligation of unquestioning obedience to the Jesuit general. Its most essential feature was that which required the members to go wheresoever ordered by the Pope, without compensation. But with regard to this and all other duties, and the manner of discharging them, They were required to obey the general. They could receive no instructions except those which came from him, all of which they were required to obey as coming directly.
4: So, that monitor
1: voice just changed up a little bit. We'll go back to this Joshua Abram,
5: what he figured out. Hopefully, we we'll go back to it. <laughs> so, clogged up here again, as usual. Try right again. Sale. Connection. failure. <laughs>
9: a long time. What have you ever found out about it? And that piece you just played, there's nothing in the water. Hydrofluoric silicic acid in major Harvard studies has been causing a sevenfold increase in phones. What have I discovered about Bilderberg? The B B C was able to get the documents decades ago that they helped found the Euro which was actually a Nazi German plan to take over countries economically. No, that's on record. And I've interviewed members of the EU parliament on the subject who are out there at the event. 3,000 people, they turned 1,000. Bilderberg is heavily involved in the EU plan and helped hatch it and it is a Nazi plan. They had Lockheed scandals, just like the big lobbying scandals right now in the 70s. That's why the SS officer Prince Bernard, the founder, had to step down. It is the ultimate lobbying meeting. While you guys have this huge scandal going on, your prime ministers going there, uh, uh, balls was Just here, Bilderberg group member, we have forced them from cover to admit that there are puppeteers above the yes, major parties.
8: So now we, the know, now, now we know that Bilderberg is getting a uh, uh, Yes, I mean, uh, if you talk to Alex very late time, you discover all kinds of things that you about the world. We want to um You have. You have absolutely blown I mean, it. It leaves me with a huge question for you, Alex. Yeah. Where you have uncovered. The New World Order, which is deadly. It's full of what you oh, call criminals. Well, this is what I'm coming to. It's full of criminals, etc., who seek to run the world and will kill anybody who gets in their way. And you are almost a happy, a lone crusader, powering against them. So, a, how come? How, how, how are you still alive? Why alive? Oh, no, which is yes. Which is the end? <laughs> um, with a huge question for you, Alex. As where you have uncovered the New World Order, which is deadly. It's full of what well, you call people exist. are criminals. Well, this is what I'm coming to. Do. It's full of criminals, etc., who seek to run the world and will kill anybody who gets in their way. And you are almost a having a lone crusader, powering against them. No, that's so, a, how come? How are how you still alive? Why which is the, yeah, why which wife? is the explanation? One. They don't exist. Or two, you're part of the... Community. No, let me tell you a story.
9: Or two, you're part of the... Community. No, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you the story. Uh, I say the first. Five years ago when Obama and Hillary... I say the second. Five years ago when Hillary and Obama were at Bilderberg, and the Secret Service was there in helicopters. The New York Times came out and said, I was crazy. There was no Bilderberg group meeting. And my wife got phone calls, and so did I, threatening to kill us. And the people said, and you better take it serious, because you were just talking to your dad that was in the hospital. You better shut your mouth, or we're going to cut your head off. Now, now that, no. That, they, they were going to kill that, you. They, they listened listen listen to me. They everybody's the phone lines. They call up and harass people that expose them, and tell them and tell them what them. they were just talking about. They are going to say there's no spine. Alex, it's him. like not oh, no. in Germany. Oh, no. the only spy on the bad guys. Huh?
8: You let you let him speak now. Well, I do so one of
9: your ministers say this though. Alex, Alex, I'm here. I am tyranny. No, shut up.
8: I'm here to testify that your head was not cut off. Ladies, oh, are you sure about they that? They kill
9: me. It turns me into a martyr. It, it, it puts big exclamation points on the end of what I've said, and I have put out a lot of information. There's millions of others that are exposing it. And the look, we have mega banks that are getting 85 billion dollars a month of U.S. taxpayer money. Most of it goes to Europe and England. The British taxpayers, EU taxpayers, have to pay to these mega bankers. They're right. in there setting this up. It's come out. And then the media distracts you with, oh, okay. look at a guy that's okay. going to a lobbyist right? when the real lobbyist is going okay,
8: on. You're not going to dominate this. He gets to speak to some of your own radio
9: show. Ladies well, and are gentlemen, if sure they kill that? me, it turns me into a martyr. It, it, it puts big exclamation points on the end of what I've said, and I have put out a lot of information. There's millions of others that are exposing it. I want to say is this. I want to say this now. the open. I support the Jewish state of Israel. They actually turned back some of my reporters, but they didn't turn me back. And I was told this because they don't want to make a stink. Do you think? The uh, they, they actually think turned back some of my reporters, but they didn't turn me back. And I was told this because they don't want to make a stink. Do you think the BBC is to the Bilderberg Group? Well, you know, Winston Smith did work here. I mean, come on, Eric Blair worked here, and that's what he said it was. Why do you think like Why we we like let you on this? Because you guys think that you can manage the whole thing, and now our information's gotten too big. I have 3 million radio listeners a day. That's a low number. 3 million. I get about 50 million YouTube uh, views a month. That's a very conservative number. I make films, put them online for free, that you'll watch 40 million okay. times like the Obama Deception. Uh-huh. And that's why, because the establishment does right. know what
8: to do. Now, now, Alex has this point, and it's uh, and it's an important one. I would have, say, ten years ago, said, listen to all this stuff. He believes that people put cancer virus in oh, that's right. in order in order to create a eugenics program. That's what he that's what he mm-hmm. believes. We talk about medical, and, and we would have said, and we would, have, and I would have said, hey, that's kind of mad, and so on. And it's an interesting psychological problem. Like just to the top, the problem is very serious. Likely, I believe it. I believe it.
9: Hey, listen, Why? I'm here to warn people. You keep telling me to shut up. This isn't a game, okay? Our government in the U.S. is building FEMA camps. We have an NDAA where they disappear people now. You have this arrest for public safety, life in prison.
6: You are the worst yeah. person I've
9: ever seen. No, no, it's exactly. they off in, with their heads, disappear, David, thank take you them for away. InfoAward.com, uh, 70 in you're watching the news. We have an we program today. Up.
10: You will not stop Just freedom! Like you
7: will not stop the Republic! Humanity is awakening! InfoWars.com! No. You guys I'll be looking at you look ahead to ahead with our political it. panel. We can, oh. Yes, oh. WE can do it. It CAN DO It can We can change government. things throughout the land. But we are Lend a hand. We can do it. Oh, yes, we can. Oh, your neighbor over there, a bit bewildered, but he cares, he just doesn't know what to do, join together and then they'll be two, there are others all around, scattered throughout the town, reach out and you will see, you're number 12 to 3. We can do it. Yes, we can. We can change things throughout the land. But we
10: all must lend a hand. We can do it. Oh, yes, we can. Now, to- now together, what can we do here? Hang on a second here. I get myself in the show here. Yes, so oh, welcome to our show. This is Super's News for uh, April 3rd, and we're putting it on the 27th, and between the two times, uh, I'm going to be, uh, actually, if you see this on Thursday, hopefully I will have made 70 years old yesterday, i turned 70, so I've got to have a little celebration here, whoopee, and, and uh, great, and I have a special guest in the background here, so you want? are you ready to say
11: hi, ready
10: to say hi, special guest, my name is Joshua. Hi, yeah, how you doing? Okay, let's see. Make sure you're doing okay. We're doing doing good here. Joshua Abraham is in the studio, and he's, uh and he is uh, uh, son of the father who wrote this book here called None Dare Call Conspiracy. And so that's a, a interesting book is back in the '70s by Larry Abraham, and you're his son, and you got something to say, I guess, about this about uh, uh, Alex Jones, so. And you've been on the show about a month ago, and it was really a popular show, and you got noise in the background. Hello. Yeah. Can you well, stop the
3: noise? Much, well, pretty much what I want to say is that um, our New World Order resistance that my father started in 1971 with his book, there have been a lot of researchers who have used that book in their bibliography and as a part of their research. Now, but we have to... What's important to understand is that when you go against this new world order, we have to take into the fact that they're going to put in disinformation agents to lead us all astray and away from the root cause of the problem. Now, I was on the Alex Jones show about a year and a half ago, and during my interview, he just said and did some things that just kind of you know, it didn't really steer me in the right direction to make me believe who he really was, so I did some research on him, and what I found out about him was shocking. First of all, let me say that when I woke up to this whole New World Order thing, and then I figured out who my, what my dad did to contribute to it, and then I figured out Alex Jones' uh, book that woke him up was my father's novel, and for six months, I tried to get on his show. He wouldn't let me on. It wasn't until I wrote to his one of his producers and I told him that I have disclosed information that my father told me before he died on uh, July 7, 2008. The next day, I get the call back and they brought me on the show. Now, what my father told me before he died was that they would be poisoning our air with kit- and like they were doing to our water supply. And then I look around, and I see all these chemtrails everywhere. Now, the clip you just saw um, in your intro, that was when um, Alex Jones went on the BBC. And on the BBC, the two people who were interviewing him was um, Mr. Neal and David Aaron Aaronovitch. Aronovich. Aaron from the, Times, um, from the Times newspaper, and he made a very good point. The New World Order is a very deadly and very, very sinister organization, and they kill anyone who gets in their way. Now, there's two options to Alex Jones. One, the New World Order doesn't exist, or two, he's a part of it. Now, the question is, how is he still alive? Because if you do your research, you will know that there was a man named William Cooper on this show called The Hour of the Time. He was murdered by six cops in street clothes. Then there was Fritz Springmeier, who who also exposed the New World Order. He was framed and jailed and discredited. Then there was John Todd, who was framed, discredited, then murdered. Then there was Randall and Bear. His car got ran off a mountain pass. Then there was Dr. Kent Hobine. He was jailed for supposed tax evasion. Now, the number one common denominator of all these New World Order protesters in trying to wake people up is that they were very, very de- devout Christians, and they were preaching to the people the root cause of the New World Order is that this is not just a battle for Earth. This is not just a battle for the governments or the economy. This is a battle for people's souls, because these New World Order people, these global elite, these Illuminati and these Freemasons, they're all Satanists, and they're trying to corrupt us and win our souls over to the corruption of Satanism. Now, what we have to keep in mind is that Alex Jones, his his father, David Roth Jones, who's a dentist at Castle Dental, is a Freemason. His grandfather is a Freemason. And if you watch Alex Jones' broadcast, you will see him do a lot of Masonic hand signals during his broadcast. He even has Masonic um, symbols on his InfoWars webpage. Now you just gotta look for it because they're not you know, the last thing he's gonna do is come out and tell you what he truly is, which is the disinformation shell that works for the Jesuit order of the Knights of Malta, which are Vatican agents of the CIA. He's not gonna tell you that. You have to look for it. And if you can't find the connection, that's your fault and you will be continue to be led astray. Now, what we have to what's really important to understand is that he brings on Jewish show, The Enemy. He brings on these Knights of Malta like Lord Christopher Mockden. He's been a guest on Infowars a few times and been praised by Alex Jones. And his father, uh, Al- um, Lord Christopher Mockden's father, uh, Major General Second Viscount Mockden of Be- Branchley, was president of the British Association and the Sovereign Order of the Knights of Malta. Now, why would a man who's trying to be sincere in the New World Order wake, awakening bring on agents of the enemy? And not only that, he brings on Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan is a major insider. He was a White House advisor to Nixon, Ford, and Reagan. And Pat Buchanan is very highly recommended from Alex Jones. And this guy is a total Bilderberg member and a member of the CFR. Now, another key issue on Alex Jones is that he states on, he he's a fear monger okay? We have to take into the fact that he fear mongers a lot. He scares people. And now the number one order the number one rule of Freemasonry is order out of order out of chaos. And the things that Alex Jones promotes on his show is a lot of fear mongering. If you listen To his show. One time he said, nine out of the ten listeners would be killed by the government in ten to fifteen years. Now that's what I call fear-mongering. Completely unjustified. He also accused the Brownie girls one time as being spies. And on his if you listen to his Y2K broadcast, he fear-mongered a bunch of people and said that Russia would nuke America if their electric shut off and that they were moving secured, um, well-sophisticated nuclear missiles across Moscow to get ready for launch. And also, every single Olympics that comes up, Alex promotes possible terrorist attacks. Now, keep in mind, this is what the mass media does, okay? This is what the mass media does by trying to fear-monger us. Now, if Alex Jones was truly sincere, and keep in mind, the truth is always revealed by the results, he wouldn't be fear-mongering because there was another man named William Cooper who had a radio show the hour of the time who called him out. This man was 17 years in naval intelligence. And he had dealt with disinformation agents in his career from other nations. And he said Alex Jones is a textbook disinformation shill. Because what he does is he fear mongers, he puts out information on his website that is completely unproven, and it's not documented fact at all. What it is, it's just rumor and conjecture. It's not documented fact. And then what we have to also keep in mind is that if Alex Jones was truly sincere, I mean you gotta everyone YouTube Alex Jones at the Texas gun rally. People in Austin, Texas, were standing up for their Second Amendment rights in Texas. Alex comes in with a bullhorn and just starts completely breaking up the gun rally and starts spouting off his own rhetoric. And people were just sitting there. They were like, why is he doing this? He should be lifting us up and supporting us and trying to unite us because keep in mind he has the biggest following of awakened souls I'm trying to go against this new world order. They didn't – and he said to some other person had the Texas gun around that They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing, and he had to come in and take over. But he just divided the crowd, and he just pretty much just kept – he was talking to this woman, and she was begging him to unite the rally, not divide it with his bullhorn and just step over all these honest ralliers. And he told her, you know, I'm, action- I'm exercising my First Amendment, lady. Get the hell out of my face. And they were just like, Alex, you know, try to unite with us. You know, we're on your team here. And that, that just really shocked me. And I'm just like, why would this guy go out of his way to break up a Texas gun rally? Also, Alex Jones is very well known for exposing the Bohemian Grove, okay? The Bohemian Grove is like the satanic hangout for the New World Order. Every last two weeks in July, they get together in Sonoma County, County, California, and what they do is they sacrifice a child to the the pagan god of Molech. Now, he goes on record saying that he snuck in, carried a hidden camera, and then just goes around to people and totally, you know, saying that yeah, I snuck in, I exposed it. Now, I've studied Satanism and black magic for the past two years because the number one rule of warfare as a Christian is that you got to know your enemy. Mm-hmm. And make no mistake, people who expose the satanic circles, people who get the word out about Satanism, they get sacrificed. In the satanic circles, no. they don't live very long to tell their story. Okay, not yeah. Yeah, I mean these Satanists are the most vile, crude, corrupt people on the planet, and they will kill anyone who gets in their way. And for him to go into the Bohemian Grove, where this is not just some you know satanic circle in the backyard of San Francisco, this is where the global elite go, like the president, the European monarchs, the head of the media, captains of industry. You mean to tell me that he exposed Bohemian Grove and today he is still alive for exposing one of the most sacred satanic circles on the planet?
10: Party time back there, yeah, right?
3: Yeah, and it's it's crazy because he claims that he snuck in. And if you do your Bohemian Grove study, you would know that there is a list of celebrities and musicians and global elite. There's like a three-year waiting list of people to get into the Bohemian Grove. And the security there is just top-notch. I mean, you can't sneak into this place. You can't. It's completely closed off. They, these global elite hire the best of the best to protect this little satanic gathering. And Alex Jones claims that he just snuck in and he goes on record all the time and says now by public that he exposed it. And if you know satanic black magic and you know how these groups operate, there is no way that he would still be alive today if he was sincere. But he is protected He's fully protected, and that's what on that clip you saw. That guy was saying from the Times uh, Magazine, the Times newspaper, that "How are you still alive? You have just told you're on the lone crusade exposing this new world order. How are you still alive? I mean, there's no way that he can get away with something like that without being like you have to keep in mind. The same as they own the police, they own the CIA. The Satanists are the most powerful people on the planet. Ooh, and he's wow. protected and still alive to this day. I mean, people who I named off earlier, William Cooper, Fritz Springmeier, John Todd, Randall and, Bear, and Dr. Kent Hovind, these guys didn't even get into a satanic ritual. They just told it like it was. Then, because they told it how it is and promoted Christianity, they get murdered. They get jailed. The truth is revealed by the results. And Alex Jones, he doesn't promote Jesus Christ at all. He's not, this is not a battle of soul-saving for him. This is all about promoting the symptoms of the problem and not the root cause. He, he always talks about the central banks. He always talks about the globalists. He always talks about Obama and his um, campaign. But what we have to understand is that the root cause of this problem is not the central banks. It's not even the Freemasons who his dad and his grandpa, grandfather are a part of. The root cause of this New World Order problem are the Zionists and the Vatican agents, the Jesuits, the Zionist-controlled agents of the Rothschilds. Now, keep in mind that... He doesn't talk about Zionism that much. And if you go on his website, anything about Zionism, the Vatican, or the Jesuits, or the Knights of Malta, all those articles, he has closed comments at the bottom. You can't even leave a comment on him. But if he talks about the central banks, and the Federal Reserve, and Obama, boy, he's got comments open all day. You can always leave a comment. But if he's got... Anything about the Zionist movement of Israel, which, by the way, you saw in that clip, he fully supports the state of Israel. And his kids, his three children, have dual citizenship under the law of return for Israel. His wife is Jewish. Now, make no mistake, I'm Israeli myself. I'm not spitting out anti-Semitism here. I'm spitting out anti-Zionism. Now, everyone knows who does their research and digs all this information up that the state of Israel is nothing more than a Zionist terrorist state. They are genociding the Palestinians. They are taking back the land that they lost a few hundred years ago. There's no justification for it. But everyone who does their research knows that the Vatican is totally blessing the Zionist movement and the... The Israeli takeover of the Palestinians. There is no there is no war. There is no movement. There is no genocide without the permission of the Vatican. The Vatican is the spider in this web. They blessed the Nazis when they did the Holocaust, which in Yiddish means burnt sacrifice offering. They got the Nazis out of the state of Europe and put them in South America in the Jesuit-controlled states of Paraguay and Uruguay then move them down to Argentina. And keep in mind, the Jesuit Pope, Pope Francis, is standing trial March 31st for for, um, accusations of being a war criminal and child trafficking during the Argentinian Dirty Wars. Now, we have to understand, and we have to try to really come to grips is that with Alex Jones' actions, the truth is revealed by the results. He brings on enemies onto his network. He also hired someone from Strapper. Strapper is a CIA front. Strapper is a global intelligence agency. He brought in someone from Strapper to be his editor-in-chief for InfoWars. Now, I mean, if that doesn't shock you, I don't know what will. Because Strapper is a total CIA fraud. He hires people from this company, this global intelligence agency. His publisher, editor-in-chief comes from this agency. And keep in mind that he also was in a Hollywood movie called A Scanner Darkly. With Illuminati symbolism all over it. If you watch a scanner darkly, there are guys in t shirts with the symbols of the Illuminati. There are symbols on the wall with the Illuminati. This is a total just Illuminati controlled motion picture. And Alex Jones is in it. Mm. So you can't tell me that he's not dirty. Because anyone who's in their right state of mind and trying to go against this new world order knows that they would have nothing to do with Hollywood. Because Hollywood is just, it's the black magic to convince people that they're insane to even keep an open mind to conspiracy theories. But how the Illuminati communicate is by symbols, calendar dates, and using hand gestures. Alex Jones was in an Illuminati just enthralled symbolism of Illuminati in this movie called The Scanner Darkly with Keanu Reeves, and we have to just sit back and be like, wait a minute, all these guys who have been murdered in jail—William Cooper, Fritz Bremer, John Todd, Randall and and Doctor K Hobin—these guys didn't go in a movie. These guys didn't have a huge radio station. William Cooper had a radio station, but it wasn't nearly as big as Civil Wars and didn't have the bad because he's promoted the truth. And when you promote the truth, you piss everybody off. And yeah. only the brave and only the mentally strong can really handle the truth. Yep, yeah, that's, that's right. Called, yeah, and he called out Alex Jones. He called him out. He said, this guy is a textbook CIA show. This guy is a textbook, just a disinformation agent. This guy, Alex Jones, is a fear bullcrap artist. I mean, when you're calling out the brownie girls as the spies, every Olympics you got possible terrorist attacks, disturbing a Texas gun rally. And also keep in mind, I remember watching this clip how Michelle Matkin, she was at this rally... And, this po- and Alex just started hackling her. And this ponytail guy ch- kept chanting to him, you know, back off, peace, brother, peace, peace. Over and over in Alex's face. And Alex straight up pushed him. That's called legally assaulting someone. And then later he cried to a cop that the guy in the ponytail pushed him. And he threatened to sue Michelle Malkin for that guy bumping into his camera when Alex pushed him. Now, also, Alex Jones likes to say, I'm going to sue people if they say certain things. Alex has always threatened to sue people for slander. Now, anyone who does their research knows that in the 90s, all these um, free speech suing laws of slander and calling names out, This is a systematic approach in the judicial system to take away the First Amendment of free speech. I mean, if you believe in free speech, like Alex Jones said he, he does and he should be doing, why would he even promote and support the idea of suing people about what they say about him? Right there, he's using the Zionist-controlled courts to get his money, and to threatened to sue people. I mean, the truth is revealed by the results, people. And we have to understand, with a guy like Alex Jones, who has a show called InfoWars, he's supposed to be leading a resistance and supposed to be waking people up. He's not doing it genuinely. He's leading a false rebellion, because he's not getting to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is the Zionist state of Israel and the um, Jesuit-controlled Vatican. He's leading people away and thinking, yeah, it's the central banks, it's the uh, European Union, it's all that. When the fact is, those guys, the central banks and the European Union, Get their orders from the Zionist-controlled British government, the Zionist-controlled Supreme Courts of America, the Vatican with Jesuit agents. That was, those are the real problems. These are the false ego, the elite. And for this false ego to thrive in our society, Sorry. this parasite called the false ego, it requires a continuous flow of sustenance to survive among the people. What is their sustenance? Money and fear. They keep pumping money and fear into the people to keep us on guard and, you know, keep us ready at the drop of a dime. We'll be ready to go to war anytime. But if you do your research and you pull up the facts, you will know that these wars are nothing more than bankers' wars. Keep in mind
10: that's right. all about the money oh.
3: yeah i mean this this parasite of the global elite will always, like, uh, this is how a parasite works among a host. The parasite will always release chemicals that will cause the host to crave the sustenance that the parasite needs to survive. As long as the host is unaware, it will keep feeding the parasite while starving itself. I mean, the the perfect explanation of that is the income tax law. There is no law that says we have to pay income tax, Alex Jones should be promoting this. He, but you know, it's just so funny because he, he works for the people who are running this whole new world order operation. Alex doesn't want you to know about the false tax laws of income tax and property tax. He wants you to focus on the symptoms, not the root cause of the illness. These prevailing economic systems in which single individuals can easily rule the entire masses, becomes rooted in the psychic structures of the oppressed peoples themselves. On a collective level, the suppression of natural function, whether biological, spiritual, or emotional, will always result in an abnormal reaction, a psychic disease. This illness or this disease is reflected among the masses through a collective unconscious and acts as an epidemic to humanity. Keep in mind, we have to be promoting peace. We have to be promoting Christianity. We have to be promoting the false reality of this economic system, the false tax laws. We, you know... He always says the answer to the answer to 1984 is 1776. I highly disagree because the 1776 War of the Revolutionary of America, people who do their research know that it was just a fake war.
10: Yes, that's if we were right.
3: Truly independent. If we were a truly independent nation, we wouldn't have had the British funding both sides of the revolution we wouldn't have an IRS tax system set up after the Revolutionary War that pays direct taxes and payments to the crown. IRS Publication 6209, the background of the IRS, that is the, that is the background of the IRS, and it just says it right there in black and white that the IRS collection agency is nothing more than a British collection of the monarchy. That's true. We have to, yeah, We have to take into effect. If you do your research, you're gonna pass up Alex Jones and what he preaches. Cause you know what? It's funny. Cause William Cooper in the Hour of the Time, he promoted all this. He told you the truth that these Satanists who run this organization, and Alex Jones knows these guys are Satanists. He knows that. But William Cooper knew. That if you don't promote Jesus and Christianity, the most persecuted religion amongst the New World Order, they're going to win. Right. Because this is not a battle for economics. This isn't a battle of property. This isn't a battle of the false global warming lie. This is a battle for our souls. And all those guys who got jailed and discredited and murdered, they all have the common denominator. Their bottom line was to push the truth of Christianity. Because the truth is always revealed by the results. And these New World Order agents of the Vatican are always just just killing Christianity. That's their goal. Albert Pike wrote to Manzini in 1871 that they have to rub out Christianity and atheism at the same time to bring in the global religion. You won't hear this on Alex Jones' show. Because he doesn't get to the root cause of the symptom of the illness. He only treats the symptom, not the root cause. And we have to keep in mind, the leaders of our world are part of a psychic tyranny. This simple illness within our psyche, this lack of responsibility and neglect of basic human freedom has made way for every tyrant that has ever held rule over the people on this planet mankind is caught in the cycle of fear, apathy and hatred. these human instincts drive hierarchical political systems, bureaucracies, and most often limit the basic human right of the pursuit of happiness to the people. These That's oppressive right. tyrants who were demonized by the masses they're no different they're, not, they're no different than us. They're one with us. And think of any position of power that you believe to be above you. Royal families, government leaders, financial organizations, corporate monopolies, the media juggernaut. These are all facets of our false ego. They are the physical advent of humanity's sickness. They require our constant participation, our constant conscious energy to survive because without our cooperation. Without supplying them with the sustenance of complicity, they starve. Their very nature depends on our desire to be ruled. And a typical symptom of the illness among our humanity today is our continuous denial of our illness. This is called repression. And we consistently repress the qualities we choose not to accept about ourselves. This is why it is so difficult to actually see the false ego in its multiple manifestations for what they truly are. And one of them is Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. Because I'll say it again. He doesn't go after the root cause. He's leading a false rebellion. He's just having us run around in circles, chasing the Fed, chasing the European Union. You know, who cares about those things? If we don't attack the root cause, which is the Zionist state of Israel, which his wife is Jewish and his kids have dual citizenship in Israel, and we don't go after the Vatican who is leading this charge, we're not going to get anywhere.
7: Right?
3: Because, I mean, it's the perfect front for a CIA agent and a chill, a disinformation agent, to give you just a half-truth. You know, put out just the half-truth about the chemtrails and the fluoride. Give us the half-truth about some of Obama's former security guards. It's a great cover. It's Mm -hmm. a fantastic cover because it makes people believe that, wow, you know, this guy's really doing it. But when you do your research, you can't be fooled anymore because after you dig deep to see how deep down this rabbit hole really goes, you will know the root cause of the problem. It's not the president. It's not the British monarchy. It's the Pope. It's the Vatican. It's a globe, and he's running this global scheme to make the 99% work for the 1%, and the 99% who are just, going along with it, are doing it because the 1% are tempting the 99% with everything that they have. Alex Jones is a millionaire. He lives in the richest part of Austin, Texas. He has, like, three different houses. I have his addresses. I know where he's at. This guy, I mean, he is so rich. And anyone knows what William Cooper stands for. What well, well, he stood for, yeah, he lived in this little podunk town in Arizona, and he didn't really make a lot of money at all because he was telling the truth. He wasn't paid behind the scenes. He wasn't getting on Hollywood movies. He wasn't promoting well, products that are just total fluff. For a—it's uh, yeah. fear mo- All of his products are fear-mongering tactics. I mean, the fact that Alex Jones was on a Hollywood movie the fact that Alex Jones' children had dual citizenship in the Zionist state of Israel, the fact that his father and his grandfather are Freemasons, the truth is revealed by the results. Mm-hmm. And if you can't see it, that's your fault. And you will be continue to be led astray. And if you see what he did at the Texas gun rally, how he broke it up, and people were saying, This guy is a perfect example of breaking us up. This guy is totally going against everything we're standing for. You gotta YouTube that. Then you gotta YouTube what he did to Michelle Malkin and see how false of a liar he was promoting to the cop that the guy attacked him when he when he attacked the cop. People This guy is a part of an operation called Operation Mockingbird. This is a CIA operation derived from the Jesuit order of the Knights of Malta from the CIA. Operation Mockingbird was an immense financial undertaking with funds flowing from the Jesuit Vatican who controlled the CIA and still do today. Largely through the CFF, the Congress for Cultural Freedom. This is founded by Tom Braden and Pat Buchanan of CNN's Crossfire. Mm -hmm. Alex Jones has been on that show. Alex Jones has been on Fox News. Alex Jones has been on these Zionist-controlled media juggernauts. And make no mistake, these are all Zionist-controlled. Did you ever see William Cooper in a Hollywood movie? Did you ever see William Cooper on Fox News and CNN, NBC, and Piers Morgan. Did you ever see him on the BBC? No. No. Because he wasn't involved in it. He was going against everything they stood for. And what happened to William Cooper? He was gunned down by six cops in street clothes at 2 in the morning outside of his home in Arizona. He was executed.
10: That was before 9-11 happened, and he predicted 9-11 was going to happen.
3: Yes, he predicted 9-11. Alex Jones claims that he predicted 9-11, and he didn't. He did not predict 9-11. William Cooper predicted 9-11, because William Cooper, he sees the design. He was 17 years in naval intelligence, and before that, he was in the Navy. Alex Jones doesn't have one day in the military service. He doesn't know how the military and how war works. He's just this guy who has Freemasons in his family, who is just no better than Rush Limbaugh, who is just some guy who is in the media. And also he, he's gone on record saying he, he supports the state of Israel. And again, it's very, it's very important for me to explain Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference okay. between anti Zionism and anti Semitism. Right. Big difference. Right. I'm Israeli. Joshua, Ariel, Cruz, and Abraham, you can't get as more Israeli than that, okay? I'm the bloodline of that area. And I will be the first to say that the state of Israel, with a satanic hexagram on the flag, which is two things, the most demonic symbol used in demonic worship in the satanic circles and the seal of the Rothschild dynasty, the state of Israel is going to bring us into World War III. They're going to strike on the Islamic nation. This is all set up in 1871 by the highest order of Freemasonry of Albert Pike and Albert Manzini. Albert okay. Pike and Giuseppe Manzini, I mean. Now, we have to understand, and we have, it's a really important to understand, that the truth is revealed by the results. And mm-hmm. Alex Jones hiring people from the strapper, right. a CIA front, Alex Jones being in a Hollywood movie, a Scandal Darkly, Freemason parents, kids mm-hmm. with okay. dual citizenship, still alive after exposing the most high order of satanic worship, the Bohemian Grove. Right. There's no way, there is no way he could still be alive and, and not be a part of it. That's what on that clip you saw, that guy um, from uh, the Times Magazine, right, right. Tom said, how are you still alive, Alex? You have led this crusade against the New World right. Order. Two possibilities. Either it's not true, and we all know it's true, or you're in on it. Right. He is in on it, and then at the very end of that, um, at the very end of that beginning clip you played, he said some guys from the Bilderbergers work for BBC. And then the guy said, "Why do you think we brought you on, Alex?" Mm-hmm. It's right. just like, really, right. it's in our face. And just like when people, before they wake up, they see all the Illuminati symbols and everything. It's in their face, but they don't actually see it. But then when you wake up, and just like the Bible says, you once were blind, but now you see. Yeah,
10: we're at the end of our time here. So uh, what last word do you want to say? I want to have a good clip to follow this. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, This has been wonderful. Go ahead.
3: Well, pretty much in my closing argument, I want to say, people who have woken up to this new world order, do your research on Alex Jones. And you people who have woken up, I mean, my dad was like one of the best of connecting the dots. See, when people wake up to this new world order... They're really good at connecting the dots and seeing the design. Nobody just tells it to them. They figure it out for themselves. They see all the evidence. Yeah. They do the research. They connect the dots and they come up with a with with a thought and a revelation that oh my god, this is all real. There is a satanic order that's leading the world into a global government. Do the same thing to Alex Jones. You know, people people who listen to Infowars, some of them, it doesn't even cross their mind to research the source of where this info is coming from. If you research Alex Jones, you will be able to connect the dots, and you will come up with striking evidence that broke you up to the New World Order. You will come up with striking evidence, and you'll be able to connect the dots to blow your mind and be like oh my god this guy isn't who he says he is because people who wake up are very intelligent they see the design they can connect the dots and if you just do your research on alex because i have a i have a friend of mine who's a source he is a, He's a first-degree Freemason. His job for the Freemasons, he got out of the Lodge. He got out of it. But while he was a part of the Lodge as an apprentice Mason, a first-degree, they used him to run background checks for people joining the Freemason Lodges. This guy works for the police. He works for the Freemasons. He works for the CIA. This guy runs background checks on okay. people. That's his job. He ran a background check on Alex Jones, Mm -hmm. figures out that, oh, my God, his grandfather is a huge part of the Freemasons. I think he might even be 33rd degree. But then his father, a part of Castle Dental, who's a dentist in Austin, he's a Freemason, too. And then Alex Jones has been seen giving Freemason handshakes to people. Alex Jones has been seen giving Freemason Freemason hand gestures on his radio show when the camera pans to him. Okay. I mean, that's a solid source. And people, if you just do your research on Alex, I mean, my dad's book woke him up. Mm -hmm. I was deceived myself. I went on a show. But then after my interview... I kind of was like, wow, this kind of, you know, I offered to write a book with him because he wanted, I thought it would be a real powerful message. And the fact that he didn't want to, that kind of got me a little curious because if he was sincere, he would gather people like me oh. and Jesse Fisher uh, in, um, Gerald um, and right. Jordan Maxwell, David Icke, we come here and unite in a cause to fight this new world order. But just like David Icke and Jordan Maxwell and Michael Cesarion, their, their research is fantastic. Alex Jones has great research, but they, they're missing a common cause. They're missing the main cause, Christianity in saving people's souls. And if they keep that out of their research, which is fantastic, by the way. These guys have fantastic research. But if they keep the Christianity part out of it, we're going to miss the plot completely. Because this is about our souls. I'm a very loving Christian. I love Jesus Christ. In every radio interview I do, I try to promote the Word of Jesus. Please read your Bibles read the Dead Sea Scrolls. Even tonight I'm going to go see the new Noah movie and see how closely they related. That's related to the Dead Sea Scrolls. But people, if we just try to understand that if you just question everyone, Mm -hmm. do a background check on me. You will see my records, clean. But do a background check on Alex Jones, too. Do a background check on Michael Tesarion, David Icke, Jordan Maxwell. You will find out The Michael on flipped tarot cards and was raised by Rosicrucians. You will find out David Icke, he channels demonic spirits to write his books. Jordan Maxwell was summoned by the Pleiadians out in the desert. Those guys have had demonic experiences, and Alex Jones has Freemasons in his family, and his children have dual citizenship. He's been in a Hollywood movie. He's still alive after Bohemian Grove. Right. People have died for a lot less than that. People like William Cooper, Dr. Ken Klein, right, right. okay. uh, John Todd. Those guys didn't even get anywhere close to what Alex did. They didn't expose that much. I mean, John Todd, he was actually... John Todd was in the satanic circles. Okay. John Todd was sacrificed. He was murdered because he exposed the satanism. Mm-hmm. He was gone because he had a pure heart. He was trying to preach Christianity and get people to understand... How dangerous these Satanists are. Alex Jones, he doesn't talk right. about that. Right. He wants you to focus on the Federal Reserve in the, U- in the European Union.
10: All right. Okay, well, we got to wrap it up here. So I really want to thank you for for all your uh, expertise. It's quite a the, quite the thing. So people get a hold of uh, Joshua here, Joshua Abraham Project. I've been showing it on Facebook. I want to really thank you, and I'm going to have to run on to another clip all about the uh, anonymous and what's really happening in the world here. So. Away uh, we go. Thank you again. All
7: right. Thank you. Thank right. you for your time. And you can reach me
2: at the Underground across America and all over the world, there lay many.
4: First, I got the guys, guy, guy, uh, Fox mask. Just yes, went all the way.
5: Anyways,
1: interesting perspectives.
5: Yes, we live in a chism controlled world. That's the way it goes.
6: And most people don't want to hear
1: it. God bless, take care